The Koi Gig Pod. Who is this serving? And what is the end goal? Would be kind of nice to know. I feel like we haven't had quite enough Irish bias this year, so I am quite happy to see this. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's bang at half past seven. You're very welcome along to OTB AM, and it is Tuesday morning. Isn't that right, Shane? Tuesday morning. Good morning to yeah, everyone. No one's in any doubt about what day of the week it is. It's definitely Tuesday. Colm also here. Colm, how are you? Darren, Shane, hello. How What's are you? going on? Uh, all good. Um, I find actually when Shane's hosting, he does very grand introductions to people. He actually like gives context about what people do here and all that. It's very interesting. With you, I find it's like, oh, Colm's also here. You, uh, Just you, the editorial like man, You know the way like in, in, in match day programs, they mention the club. I love when they mention the teams or the players' club at an inter-county level. So I like to do Cork's. Colin Boo, I don't yeah. know your club, but I mean. Oh, College Corinthians. College Corinthians. Yeah. It's the taxis company. Yeah, well, that's Saturday Taxis FC. <laughs> if I keep <laughs> mentioning them, I get something free eventually. So they love that uh, they're mentioned. But uh, no, it was a very nice introduction. And then when Ashley Wrighty's guest hosting, she does an outro and thanks everyone involving the production team. Uh, Bit right. needy, Colin. Bit needy. Just, I'm just, oh, no, I think yeah. it's a testament to their characters. Yeah, well, obviously awesome. they're better people, but like... It you, just, yeah, that's, well, thank you. Yeah, that goes that, that, yeah, Thanks, that's I exactly mean, my point. Yeah. So, so you just left the gap there when you said, uh, how's it going? And I just, that was the first thought that came into my head. Excellent, yeah. yeah. At least he asked you, how, how is it going? Do you know, how is it going? <laughs> 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 he did ask. How is it going? How is it going? Yeah. No, I'm very excited. The World Cup resumes. Semi-final, hard to believe. Uh, it is. Mid-December. Uh, I'm all about, um, uh-huh. you know, take aside everything that's wrong with this World Cup. Shouldn't be there, absolutely. But I like, do actually like the idea of the Winter World Cup because players are much better. They're like really in form and in groove. And the quarterfinals were, I think they'll go down as the best set of quarterfinals that I can remember of any football tournament. We'll anyway. never have it again, though, because the next World Cup, obviously, it won't happen. Um, this time of year in America, American TV schedules are ram-packed with uh, basketball and uh, also with uh, NFL so it's not going to happen again mm. so then what happened that next World Cup and then after that they'll be like no we're not doing it again when actually we probably should do it again mm. right I think the precedent has been there I've enjoyed it now I, I, all these people saying it's the greatest World Cup of our of our lifetime I think uh, now hear me out here I still think it needs <coughs> semi big semi-finals and final like it does if, if, if the semi-finals two, are crap and the final if is if there's 3-0 alls right yeah I buy that but any range of outcomes now no matter who wins the story is incredible yeah so you get an, this the second back to back in 50 years mm-hmm. right mbappe is now on pele's level because he's taken a team to do back to backs yeah at roughly you know slightly was he 2 years older than pele mm. when he did his back to backs 17 and 21 wasn't it so you you're you're catapulting him immediately to the level of stratospheric greatness if croatia win it they're a tiny little like little pinprick on the map in terms of population. What a ridiculous story that is. Mm. If Morocco win in Fuego, the like the entire world is like, oh my God, how did this happen? Mm. And if Leo Messi wins, it's okay, greatest footballer of all time. <clears throat> no ifs, ands, or but and that's so I don't see now how you can have a bad World Cup. Mm. That's it, it's done. It's going to be good. Croatia is the least sexy option, maybe. And and it's still a brilliant option. Like it's still Modric, it's still a four million Population, it's it's all the rest, but because they were in the final in 2018, it's like we're almost used to Croatia being oh, there. I there, think but it's very attractive. That's good. It's good. Very like. attractive proposition. Um, I I love Croatia. I love everything about them. I love that they just don't give up. 
they punch way above their weight and they still have a bit of technical quality and just reading um, Bruno Petkovic uh, the striker who equalised against Brazil just his story is it's so good like it just typifies them he joked that he was the 78th choice striker uh, coming into the tournament he only made his debut uh, for Croatia in 2019 he's 28 years old uh, back in the 2018 World Cup he was playing for Bologna as a squad player and he had uh, hope and hell of making the squad so he watched the World Cup from afar like everybody else became a fan like every other Croatian and uh, decided oh, I'm going to actually try and get to the semi-final uh, against England just to go as a fan but actually never got to go there even for that even as a fan now he's playing for Dinamo Zagreb doing a little bit better got the call up a year or you know, nearly four years ago now uh, still only has a dozen or so caps and scores that goal against Brazil and goes down in history and I, it's, it's amazing uh, like they just punch above mm-hmm. and they still have quality like their midfield three Brazovic Kovacic Madrid is um, delightful yeah well, it amazing how one goal mix. one goal now he is a national hero like he's that's like all the, it takes like the Alan McLaughlin or the exactly. Ronnie Whelan think or, of our own national heroes it's all it takes that's what the, that's what the World Cup's so brilliant like you you can forge yourself into folklore with one strike of a ball which is what he did and it took a deflection and still he's the man who put it into the net true Morocco lads I think are going to do it the whole way through well, like they've had extra twenty-four hours rest on France. The only problem with Morocco, I suppose, is I mean they've had a few knocks, a few injuries. They're a bit wrecked. Um, so can they push on one more time and get to a final? I don't know. The French, the French are clearly going to be tough to break down, but Morocco don't concede too many goals, so it's got, that's going to be a decent game. The tonight's game is pretty hard to call. Like Argentina have been beatable in a lot of games. Like still, Messi's running the show, but I mean they're there for the taking, and in some ways could go to penalties. I'd love to see it. Semi-final penalty should have just has that extra layer of holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to see somebody dominate the game and decide it. Decisively? Yeah, in a way that, like, oh, we'll remember forever. What's your like, instant reaction? Who do you want to win the World Cup? Morocco. 100%. For the story of the tournament already, and they will be. Do you know, they, like, unquestionably. But their job is done then. Thanks very much. It's been great. No, but I think I, I, I saw a great clip of one of the Moroccan players during the summer, like six months ago, where he was sitting with his mate. I don't think he knew his mate was filming him, and, his, and he was basically saying, "If we get past the group stage, we are we are one hundred percent going further." Because he said, "Hopefully, we get past the group stages, and if we do, the belief will just go up the like a, completely shoot through the roof." Um, I don't think they, I don't think they're surprised to be at this stage. Everyone else is surprised about Morocco, but I don't think they are. Did you start taking notice of them in the group stages? <coughs> or was it only from the last 16 from the, Like From the first game, I remember John Duggan saying that they were dark horses in his view, and didn't they draw the first game? Croatia, no, no, yeah. Yeah, and like from that moment, you're thinking, <coughs> oh, they're actually okay, because Croatia are pretty good. So I think everyone took notice straight away. Now, obviously, when they started picking off wins, like when they beat Belgium, was it? Yeah, then so you're, yeah, then you're like, right, they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty good. So I think at that point, everyone was like, well, they, they could get to a quarterfinal, maybe. Uh, but to a, a semi-final was seemed to stretch beyond for anyone's. For One anyone's thing book. they haven't contended with is not conceding a goal. They just don't know what it feels like. Yeah. So you worry for them if France score earlier from Bappe. Bappe was quiet against England. Um, he'll know himself that he'll be judged in his performances in these games, like quarterfinal onwards. He was, you know, he wasn't bad against England, but he was quiet. If he does well against Morocco, he knows himself like I'm the man who brought our country to the World Cup final <laughs> or to retain it. Like he had a great World Cup four years ago. He needs himself to beat this World Cup to become officially the best player in the world, which mm. many people suspect he already is. Does he? Ballon d'Or guaranteed. Guaranteed. Does he need to do much more? Like, I think so. I think, I think if he's just part of the team from this point forward, he'll still be top scorer. So back-to-back top scorer in World Cups. 
and France win two World Cups. If if Griezmann is the man in the semi-final and final at this stage, right? Yeah. I actually think Griezmann could end up pipping him to whatever individual awards there are. Um, but, uh, like, I think everybody will still accept that Kylian Mbappe is the best player in the world. Like Erling Haaland, yeah, great. You scored all his goals Haaland, against, yeah. who was it? Like, mm. some... Some mediocre English team, it turns out. I don't know. People have off very, Broadway, <laughs> very short memories. Exactly. Increasingly short. Again. In, yeah. Well, no. That's my point. <clears throat> Increasingly short Premier memories. League teams. So Mbappe, right? If he's quiet in semi-final, quiet in the final, people are like, oh yeah, was he good? Always oh, in the group stages. Was this that he was good? And they, then the Premier League lose, resumes, and then Haaland starts banging him in again. It was like, oh yeah, Haaland is the best striker in the world. If they lose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if France lose and Kylian Mbappe doesn't score, he'll be blamed, and so it's it's on a knife edge for the yeah. young man uh, whether or not he ends up getting scapegoated but he's, he's clearly the best I feel a little bit sorry in the world at the moment yeah I feel sorry for Karim Benzema like he's sitting at home going they, they, didn't, need, they didn't need me all along I'm the Ballon d'Or winner I'm sitting at home Olivier Giroud is taking the back and headlines Giroud. off me He's become France's leading goal scorer during this tournament. He's led the way. And the men's side, yeah. But for the, um, like, with Benzema and his international career, it's the greatest what could have been, oh, isn't it? My word. Considering what he's done at club level. And in his prime, years. in his prime. This was his World Cup prime time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's, not, let's not just forget that, like, he's partly responsible for that, where yeah. his involvement in, like, some, uh, you know, there, there was incidents. <laughs> Oh yeah, cool words in your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was out of the picture for a long time, and then it's only the last couple of years. People are like, "Oh, this guy is like one of the best strikers in the world," but he'll have massive regrets, won't he? Massive 100%. regrets about not doing it at the biggest stage. Yeah, for his national level. Um, anyway, I think I do think um, Mbappe needs to play really well. Either I'm not sure. Karim Benzema is a man who uh, has many regrets about anything in life. He doesn't. That does not come across. You don't know what's going inside his head. Well, you don't, but like... You could have huge regrets. You could walk around being, oh my God, why did that happen? All this stuff at club level, it means nothing to me. I just want to do well for my country, and I never can. Okay. I never will. I, 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 I suspect you're wrong, but as you say, there's, there's no right... How do you know no you're wrong? right? I think, you know? I, I think, so we're, we're saying Morocco is the story, but <clears throat> let's be honest, like Messi is, that's the story. Like the biggest story worldwide, even bigger than Morocco, would be Messi winning the World Cup. The Messi thing's not grabbing me. It's not grabbing me. Really? Yeah. If he wins the World Cup, I won't think much more of him or less of him. It's not grabbing me. When you think of Maradona, you think of him holding the World Cup trophy. Yeah, but I, I associate Maradona with Argentina first and foremost, even just even over Napoli, whereas Messi for me is Barcelona. More so than Argentina. I, I, I think there's a reason okay. for that. If he wins the World Cup, <laughs> yeah, then there's, there's a bit of a reason like, for that, yeah. You're going to think of him. Oh, if he has a massive semi final so. tonight and final on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, then. Uh, He's completely written, rewritten, rewritten can, history. Can I just... Um, what day of the week is it? <laughs> it is today, Tuesday, yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we so had a moment at a production meeting where I wasn't quite sure what day it was. Did you have a good weekend? I had a great weekend. Okay, yeah. so what day did France play? So France... Uh, what day did they play? They yeah. played Saturday night. Against who? Against the English. And ha- what day did Morocco play? Uh, Morocco played on Friday night. No. This is like homework with your kids in primary school. They're, they're quarterfinal, no? Who was on Friday night? There was two games on Friday. There were two games on Friday. Yeah. Two games on Saturday. Yeah, so Morocco... Oh, yes, of course. So when did Morocco play? Morocco played, obviously, early, uh, on Saturday. Earlier on Saturday, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I, wa- I, know, I watched the game out. I'm I don't sure even you mind. did, yeah. yeah. And so how long, how, um, what's the advantage <laughs> of the extra rest they have? You'd think this wouldn't, wouldn't be a tough quiz, like literal days of the you, week. <laughs> you're one to talk like. You'd be forgetting things all the time. I wouldn't take that now at all. I'm old. Next time it comes up, you're I'll, not that I'll, old. I'll, I'll recall <clears> it. Uh, you're not that old. Yeah, the final is on Sunday, folks. Look, it's just, it was just a theme emerging very early in the show there. <laughs> that the days of the week were tricky. See, I'm so excited for the third place playoff, which is on Saturday. Oh, yeah. It was Monday, one day, Tuesday, two day. I was getting carried away with the third place. So yeah, Sunday at three o'clock. Yeah, yeah. You're, we're all going to be watching the club Ireland final. Yeah, half three. Oh. Throw in. See, that's the thing. It, it, because it, it throws in half an hour later, it's like maybe if they, sh- they sh- should have gone with that two thirty throw in, maybe in Croker. Get in there ahead of the World Cup and get people on board. If it's a really good match, they won't flick over. But I mean, at three o'clock start for the World Cup final is yeah. <clears throat> it could be it could be uh, the death knell, but it's a different crowd, you know. I don't think it'll it'll have too too massive an impact you'd, you'd imagine on the hurling. <clears throat> Jeez, yeah. Look at this. I throw on the uh, live comments there. Noel Cattle in Bappy is overrated, in my opinion. I kind of feel like that's going to be the narrative around him. I don't agree with that now. I think Mbappe is perfectly rated as being the best striker around. But uh, I, I kind of worry for his um, the perception of him a little bit. But he's not. He's not like he's not a striker. Striker. He's not like the. He's not the Van Nistelrooy striker. He's a different. He's not, he's not number nine, but like Thierry Henry was not technically the, a striker striker, but he was. Like yeah. he was. It was, and it's. Um, they just have a slightly different way of getting him in the team and um, putting people around him. I, like, look, I think this has to do with PSG and people not rating the French league, and they're like, "Oh, you haven't done it," and then it's like, "Oh, well, actually, he won a World Cup four years ago, where he was clearly the best player." And mm. um, I don't know. I'd like to see slightly more from him in most games he plays <laughs> I think he could do a lot more um, I think to a degree he rests in his laurels because he's often so much better than everybody else certainly around him in the final third and also the PSG point is valid like we're not actually exposed to Mbappe that much because I don't know how much of Liga we're watching and even if we are watching it regularly they're generally winning games handily enough that's so harsh <laughs> so we're only that's seeing harsh I'm, 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 I'm just putting it out there right that we see him in the Champions League and he's and brilliant the highest level towards the I think he's, yeah, I think he's brilliant I think there's more to Mbappe that he could produce. I think he could be doing this like... So he skins a defender and it's eye-opening maybe once or twice a game where it's like, oh my God, this is incredible. His pace, his uh, touch, technique, his vision, incredible. I'd like do it another four or five times. I'd love to see him eviscerate opponents. I'd love to see him embarrass opponents. But I think he actually hangs back a bit. I'm just saying, I'm not saying, by the way, that he's not brilliant. I'm just saying I'd love to see that a little bit more. I I think he could do more. Uh, I'd love to see the the proper stats and analysis for like the uh, defenders beaten on average, the take ons on average in a game. Like you could say that with all the pictures of Messi strolling, 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 and then bursting. That's kind of the shtick. Mm. That's sort of how you get your space. That's sort of how yeah. you get the two minutes or two moments in a match where the ball's in the back of the net and the defenders wondering where were you, and all of a sudden it's like, well, he he, he burst into pace. Uh, he burst into a sprint because yeah. the five minutes before that he'd been strolling and I thought okay I've got him I've got him like, is, that not, is that not how it works well, why, well watching Messi is one of the finest <clears throat> arts of football viewing because he, he'll just be stationary for large portions of a game yeah. but he's basically analysing what, he, what he's going to do next and he's the only player who gets away with that going back to Mbappe I think one of the biggest joys in football watching it growing up and the reason that so many of us take up the game and maintain playing the game is there's nothing purer than seeing a player take on his opponent and you actually don't see it too often in modern football where it's very system-based and they, there's not real room for individualism in terms of 
uh, a winger, say, gets the ball and takes on the fullback in the old school, Stanley Matthews idea, Andrzej Konczewski's, you bait the ball past the left back and swing it in with your right foot. You don't really see that too often anymore, but there's actually something very thrilling and raw about that that's very relatable to everybody who played football growing up. Whereas it's so systemic now, so it involves in the likes of Antoine Griezmann, who's a fantastic team player, great technique. Mm. But I think Mbappe has the ability to single-handedly win games, and there's a handful of players who can do that. Erling Haaland isn't one of those players. Haaland's a brilliant link-up player yeah. who relies on service, who then is the ultimate finisher, and there's no one to touch him in finishing. But for Mbappe, he is one of those Royal Rovers, Diego Maradona-type players where... You watch that Maradona as he compared to a documentary and you, you really actually overlook just how amazing a footballer he was sometimes because of his incredible off-the-pitch story. But, you know, with Napoli, he was getting the ball and taking on like Juventus, AC Milan defenders when the Italian league in the 80s was just supreme. Yeah. And he was getting knocked about the place and it didn't, it didn't bother him. He'd fall on the ground, get himself back up. He'd be mud all over, bruised, getting acupuncture on his back in absolute bits. But he'd go again and take him on again. And I feel that there's a... It's slightly missing in the modern game. I also will make the point that I don't think football has ever been better. I think the technical standard of football in the game nowadays is unbelievable. Everyone's touch is good at the top level. Everybody does the right things thereabouts. But at the same time, you lose that little bit of majesty and creativity that gets you involved in the first place. I think Mbappe has the ability to do it, but I don't think he does it enough. I think this argument that, um, <clears throat> and, and look, it's made about Mbappe, that you need to have a big World Cup in order to announce yourself on the world stage, you don't necessarily, like he did it in 2018, which is great, and he's kind of doing it again now as well, but like, anyone can have a, a good one-off World Cup. Like Harry Maguire has been, like if England had won their quarter-final, all of a sudden Harry Maguire has had... Talk yourself into it, come on. No, like... Let's be having you. He, he's been good for England. In, he was good for England in this tournament was he? if they made a semi-final slash final all of a sudden you're like if, if, he, if England make a final and he had a good semi-final again was he good? Um, how, he, how did they go out of the tournament Jane? well the Giroud goal like, you can't really blame that coming, really? Off, coming off his shoulder I don't what's, he, what's, he, what's he doing there? I don't think it's Harry Maguire's fault he's got, he's got his man he's got a 36 year old striker who he's come up against countless times in the Premier League look I'm, I'm Harry Maguire's making a near post run <clears throat> I've been one of his biggest critics like, uh, but I just think You've changed. He's been, <laughs> he's you, took, been, you took the soup. I did. He, but he's been better in this World Cup than I expected him to be. I expected him to be, have a howler in the opening game and he had a good opening game against Iran. And from that point forward, it was like, oh, well, he's... The absence of howlers is not enough. Well, maybe, but like... <laughs> it's, not, it's the first time we've got to use that. Maybe It could be a cold take. I don't know if we've I can say Harry Maguire grand. No, you're saying he's good. He's, he's good again. He's like, no, no, no. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying he is good again. I'm saying... He, he, he plays differently for England and he plays better for England than he does for United. He still has to usurp uh, Raphael Varane on that right-hand side of the United's defence. Well, Varane's, I mean... Central defence. How much football is Varane going to play for the rest of the year? Coming back from the World Cup, exhausted. Seems Maguire, though. They're both 29. Um, I'm just... Varane's injury profile. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if Varane gets injured soon. Yeah. Are you having Lindelof in ahead of Maguire then on the right-hand side of United's central defence? I just... I think Maguire's talked himself back into consideration for a starting place Would you, yes. you're happy to see him back though I want to see him back on form yeah I, I think Varane still will start like United's big games this season ahead of him um, unless he starts playing really really well in training or, and in matches when he gets the opportunity Maguire but I think this World Cup has been a good World Cup for him he's had a better World Cup than Alessandro Martinez who's been in and out for Argentina yeah but then if he goes on Martinez and like he, he could have a stormer tonight against Croatia but, but at the time of speaking Time of speaking. Yeah. Hag's play, uh, picking his first eleven back after the World Cup, and everyone's fit. Maguire has to play, doesn't he? No, based on based <clears throat> on form. No, what? has to play. Martinez is on the left side of that defence, so he he stays there anyway. Martinez hasn't <clears throat> had a good World Cup. 
But the, form, the form in the World Cup matters not a single jot to the manager of Manchester United. What does he care about it? What does he care about? It's in season. This is the whole point of this World Cup. It's different. You're playing yourself into form during the season. So now you go back to play for Manchester United. It's only a matter of days before you play again. You're in form. You've done well. The pictures, the pictures burned into the mind like the old cathode ray tube of Eric Ten Hag are all the mistakes that Harry Maguire has made for him. The, the 4-0 in the first half. Like, yeah. that's what Eric Ten Hag is like. And he sees him He's day in, day out at training as well. Remember all the mistakes he makes in training that we don't even get to see. Burnt into his mind. He's the manager. The manager has to be flexible. He's not a fan. He's going he's gonna to judge him on his merits, Bill. He's he, gonna, every his, day and his merits gonna, are mistakes. That you're talking about legacy issues there. At the moment, he's at the moment at the time of speaking, he's actually not playing that badly. So Tang was like, okay, he's actually playing well at the moment. See, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Tyrone Mings or Maguire? I mean, at the heart of your Villa defence, if you had to pick, I mean, I'm probably picking Maguire. Like, <laughs> no, doesn't say much, I guess. But you know, I'd say, I'd say if the we, bar is low there, Shane. It's if we played this yet. game, uh, stick Callum Chambers in and be happy. If we played this game with you for several Premier League defenders, I think you would pick Maguire. No, but I'm not. At Man United, segment, Maguire at Man United. Are. <laughs> I'm just saying, players who have a good World Cup, it mm. can help. It can help. You know what else I'm just saying, Shane? can help you get rid of him. Mm. Well, yeah, uh, <clears throat> what do you think? We're, we're talking a lot about the World Cup here. Yeah. I think it's fitting. We're approaching the end. We're getting into reflective mood. Yes. What would you say is the best goal of the World Cup? <laughs> I, thought, I thought you might come to this, Colm. Um, like, I still stand by Richarlison's being certainly consideration. I know it was early. It was a group stage goal, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I'm not buying any arguments about the touch or anything. Well, that's really interesting. Is it? Because last night, our dearly beloved Kenny Cunningham mm-hmm. was on Newsround talking to Joe Malloy, who asked him this very question. And here's what he said about Richardson's goal. I don't even put the Richardson goal in there, which a lot of people would, I suppose. No, just because of that first touch of his, it got away from him, didn't it? He tried to trap it and it popped up in the air and then his... But the recovery, the recovery, recovery was, was no, but I can't get, so I can't get, no, I can't get past that. <laughs> okay, <so> fair <laughs> enough. So I've got to, I've got to reel that one out. Honourable mention. Ah, uh, Kenny. It was a stance for me. It was, it was, that, that's a power stance if ever I saw one. And, and like Kenny is, Kenny's pulled it off. If Kenny Cunningham scored that goal that Richardson scored, we'd never hear the end of it. And rightly so. What a goal! If uh, if Kenny Cunningham scored that goal. Yeah. He would apologise for his first touch. He'd be like, oh, I was just recovering. I mean, Kenny's point is, it's kind of what a, why I didn't have Richardson as the best goal because it was the first touch. I don't think Richardson meant for it to go out that much. Ah, and he, the recovery was, it's the best recovery goal of the World Cup. It was the moment that lit up the World It was the first moment that lit up the World Cup up there with the Saudis beating the Argies. I think, like, your hot take there a while ago, the biggest hot take of the World Cup goals by so far was Chavez's free kick from Mexico, which Joe Malloy, in the same segment last night, you Kenny, should try this immediately goal. ruled out. Immediately ruled that goal out because it was a free kick yeah. I don't think it's fair to root out set pieces as goals of the tournament it's discrimination uh, you probably I, I mean if, if it's the best goal it's the best goal it doesn't really matter how it's like what the, that, no. <laughs> so that, that was really comfortable for a while I can see how Kenny does it uh, yeah but the best goal not, the best goal from play maybe is a different argument Okay, that's fine. That's fine if you want to categorise that. But I think free kicks get overlooked. You don't strike me as a man who's that interested in best goals of the tournament. Uh, I don't know. It's not over. Like, so it's, fair. It's really not over, you know? But it's four games. The Abubakar, like Richardson is the best goal from play, isn't it? No, uh, you see, the Abubakar thing is lovely finish. It's, it's what I would determine astro finish. Yeah. I.e. there's no pressure because he, he, thought, um, he, was he thought he was offside. Yeah, so so you've you got, you got to put it into context. Chavez's free kick came at a crucial point in the match. 
Like, do you, do you, how easy would it have been to fluff that and smash it over the bar because you're overly anxious hitting the free kick? Richardson was, I think the game was, was it 0-0? It's 1-0. 1-0? I'm just watching it again. 72 minutes gone. One nil, they're up. It was important. They're, they're, they're winning anyway. Still an important goal. I don't know. I don't know if the first touch was bad either. It's, like ah, it's, not, it's not bad. There aren't that many places the first touch can go that doesn't get. We're talking about goals of the tournament. So here's yeah, the point, big, though. Big thing. If 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 his first touch is any different, mm. he gets tackled. Yeah. Oh, he, does he? he? Yeah. He if, if his first touch is like his first touch has to go up for him to give himself time to get off the ground to do the why do, kick. Why does the ex-professional Kenny Cunningham think that the first touch is loose? Well, how many goals can he score? How many defending has uh, defending has Kenny done? Kenny's, Kenny's Kenny has literally seen all the best goals in the world the first hand. Yeah, you know. So is, does exactly. it matter more or less because he's he's got he's, well, he's I mean, Fred talk about them. Does he think they were good goals or does he think the defending could have been a bit he better? He thinks they're good goals, but I think Kenny uh, has a correct the best goal of the tournament. It's like nah. First well, sorry, you haven't clarified what the best goal have from, you, from have players. You watched then? The back since, have you watched the goal back since Kenny comes complaining about the first touch? Because literally, the first touch can't go anywhere else. Yeah. So, what was Kenny's point? I don't know. It's like the first touch; it's gone up too high in the air. Heavy. How does he? How does he? How does he have time to? So, what would you, what would you say to Kenny if he was here now? Uh, incorrect. And what would Kenny incorrect, say? Kenny. And what would Kenny say? Well, <coughs> let's just watch the goal again. Not for me, pal. <laughs> not for me, pal. That's what he'd say. Really? Like, what, what's the best goal from play if it's not? If it's not Richardson or Abubakar, because we're discounting that. Um, there was a great header for South Korea, and I can't remember who scored ah, stop. it. Stop. Oh, brilliant. Bullet, ah, bullet header. You don't see bullet header scored anymore. Good there team was a move. great header from South Korea team that move. nobody remembers. No, wait, there was another goal as well, actually, that I'm thinking of. There, there. was, there was a few. There was another goal. Why did you discount Abubakar's goal? Uh, he, he thought, thought he was offside. offside, so maybe he wouldn't so he have tried was just, He was just playing around a bit, doing a bit of Astro stuff. 5 3 hour when the next team is about to come on. He said afterwards he thought he was offside. No, he thought he was offside because everyone stopped. He didn't even celebrate the goal. He didn't celebrate. He, he just stopped dead and he looked over the, one the flag. Was, the one where he's, um, I'm looking at the celebration here. Well, he celebrated after maybe the right goal there. was given then. over the linesman. Yeah, like Eric Cantona. Yeah, but I don't think he was doing a Cantona type celebration. Were the Saudi goals not brilliant against Argentina? One of them was class. Were, yeah. I got a great uh, suggestion. Here we go. A friend of the show. Right. Chouamani's goal against England. It's a good goal, Daisy yeah. cutter. A crucial goal. It's a good goal, no, but no. It's, it's, you've seen it a million times. Like Abubakar's goal, you have not seen a million times. Pavard's goal in 2018 was better. It's a beautiful goal, but it's a different World Cup. True. Different World Cup. <laughs> it was. <laughs> not for me. Uh, that was uh, Rory Larmer's shout there for Chouamani, and I don't think it's a bad shout. Uh, I'd love to hear more suggestions there. Neymar's you, you goal. You'll you to get out more. Yeah, we do, but like, it's all we've got. It's the dark evenings, Jer. Well, you're not watching this. No, I'm saying uh, Rory Larmer needs to get out more if he thinks Chouamani's goal is like the goal of the World Cup. It is. Rory, what do you think? It is recency bias, potentially. <laughs> we're all guilty of a bit of recency bias. That's why we're all recency sorry. bias. It's not happened recently. We are so quick to dismiss Haaland on the, on the show this morning as well. It's like, oh yeah, wait, wait, Haaland's wait, not playing wait, the World I'm not dismissing, we? I'm not dismissing Haaland. Uh, like, but, like, but he's he's not as good at the moment because as, he's not at the World Cup. But no, that's not necessarily his fault. He plays for Norway. <laughs> like Mbappe plays for France. He, he's lucky in that the French generation right now are brilliant. The Nor- Norwegian generation they're also pretty good. They're decent, but they're not World Cup level just yet. They probably are. Well, they should be, maybe. I mean, but, yeah. I mean scrape past the Republic of Ireland. Look, it's a 1A and 1B, but it's definitely like there's a 1A who's clearly better. I think they're both 600 leaving cert points. That's what they are. Two absolute honours students. It's hard, to, it's hard to discern between them. They're two different, two different types of players anyway. We're talking about how it's recency bias. Football fans are so fickle. Oh, Jesus, that's your one. <laughs> it's, uh, this is the thing, just sounds more aggressive in a Monaghan accent, I think. Um, 
But Haaland's not in the World Cup, so that's why we're talking about Mbappe more. Simple as that. The Premier League will start again. Who, who Haaland's got a hat trick. Who would rather have in your team? Who gets you out of your seat more? Out of, your, out of my seat more? That's that's different. So Mbappe, Who would rather have in your team? Mbappe gets me out of my seat more, but I'd prefer to have Haaland in my team. No, right, that's fair enough. With some, like if Griezmann was delivering balls into Haaland, like like he delivered into Giroud the other night, Haaland's scoring outrageous numbers of goals, and he already will for City. It does look like they could play together. Now, yeah. that team's not doing a lot of pressing. Well, it's true. Uh, I wonder would he would he, would Mbappe press for Klopp? Like, is there a world in which he he would do all the things that you want he, him to do? He's the hardest worker of the front three at PSG, which is saying something, obviously. But he does. Um, I, I wouldn't call him like a lazy runner. Well, I, don't, I don't. I think. I think Mbappe is pretty much instructed to play the free role, but I think he 100 percent can and is willing to do it for the in the right circumstances. But obviously, you're going to have to treat him like the superstar if France win this World Cup, which I think they will. He'll have retained he the World is, Cup. Isn't like, he? he already is a superstar, even more so. But I'm saying his reputation, as in, like in his head, it'll be like I just won two World Cups back to back. There's a great. I'm not going to run for you. Yeah, the, the, but the Klopp could make him one. That's well, if one man can. Yeah. There, there was a great photo of Mbappe in front, front of one of the paper, English papers at the weekend. I think was it him as a kid with a, like a he was on a treadmill. They're all doing tests. Yeah, Ireland jersey on. <laughs> he didn't, unfortunately. Could have played for yeah, Ireland. Uh, <coughs> electrodes coming out of him, and uh, electrodes, and um, it was at the, the French Academy when he was like you know eight or nine years of age, and it's just wheeling out footballers, and he's he's so young looking, and yet he is the same face that he always has. Yeah. It's just incredible the, that they've managed to create those. Talent His players. face to be the image of the World Cup for me. The reaction to Kane's penalty miss. It's just incredible. It's not finished yet. Up. It's not finished yet. Mm. Messi's face when Mbappe misses. Mbappe's face. When Messi misses, who knows? I mean, it would be good to see them go up against each other in the final. Well, Messi's already lost the World Cup final. What if he? What if he gets to the final and loses another? I know, that's, yeah, that's, T- tainted legacy. Oh, that's a tough career to to. Oh, well, Ronaldo laughing. Oh, he'll be loving it. Uh, the um, transfer America round is officially going to crank into gear. It has cranked into gear now that England are out. Shaq mm. Felix has been linked with Aston Villa. I, I, I like. I mean, you know, uh, I. I frequently talk about Junior Soprano and the thing that he would like to do, to do sometimes as a, hey, you know, this is a complete fantasy. But um, uh, Arsenal are now leading that because obviously Gabriel Jesus is, is out, so they're going to need somebody. But uh, because Ronaldo's gone, Manchester United also need somebody. So there is going to be loads of money sloshing around post-World Cup. Mm. If, if the football boom is back, baby. But the big news that I thought would, would be of interest is that Brazil won Carlo Ancelotti to be their next manager. Mm. I was hearing Pep Guardiola's name yesterday. Well, Pep has said he wants to coach Barcelona or Brazil at the end mm-hmm. when he's done, right? But he's not done, and he signed a new deal. Yeah. So that that's him off the table for now, right? Fair. Like he made a big show of uh, going over and seeing his overlords and being around for the start of the World Cup. Remember? Yeah, I thought so. My new deal with my gold pen. <laughs> oh look, I'm signing it in whatever the most expensive material in the world is. Mm. John Hancock. So, but Carlo Ancelotti managing Brazil. As I mean, if, I'm like. I was, I was out for a long time on Carlo and then I've been obviously proven completely wrong so. there already wasn't enough focus on, on Brazil or pressure all of a sudden you get a massive name manager in like an Ancelotti or Mourinho and you're like well no Mourinho but Ancelotti <clears throat> like if you just think of what he's done at Madrid where it's just this kind of shower of Brazil would have Mourinho speaks Portuguese he's yeah but he's a terrible manager now what just won the Conference League with Roma last season. Oh yeah, great conference. What do you want to do with Roma? When what's the last? When's the last trophy Roma picked up? Two thousand and one. Scudetto. So isn't that his job? 
It's the, it looked, yeah, and, and he's done it. And how many wrong managers do man failed to win a trophy? Okay, he's anyway. Right, the, came second. He's, he came second. He's a completely busted flush compared to where he was at the of peak of the I, I, I'd accept that. Right, well, that's all. That's he's all. not a bad manager. So, Carlo Ancelotti managing this Brazil team? No? Yeah, I'd absolutely. I think that'd be class. Yeah. yeah. I think he'd be perfect for them. I'd have it. I'd, I'd enjoy that. He's the best manager to deal with superstars, Ancelotti. He just gets them to play for him. He, he has doesn't this, care. Yeah, he has this uh, raw kind of uh, charisma to him, and it's just like he kind of has a take it or leave it approach to football management, which I think really uh, rubs people the right way in terms of the top level of the game. They kind of respect him too. He's done it all. You know? Right. Okay. A minute past eight. Two minutes past eight. Give us your thoughts. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty. That's the WhatsApp number. Uh, there's some breaking news in the rugby world. We're going to get to that in just a moment. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We do want to point you in the direction of the lunchtime wrap. You can get it on your phone uh, on wherever you get your podcast. The best place is obviously the Off the Ball app, uh, and the lunchtime wrap brings you all the latest sports news. It's with thanks to Deliveroo. It's World Cup exclusive, really. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo, food, we get it. After this break, we're joined live in studio with the Irish uh, independent rugby journalist, Keen Tracy, talking about the first round of Champions Cup. And uh, there's news on Eddie Jones. Stay tuned. Testing 1 2, 1 2, GMAC 1 2. GMAC's morning motivational moment, or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Graham McDowell here, G-Mac as you guys like to call me. Some uh, some Tuesday motivation for you now. Do the one thing you think you cannot do. Fail at it. Try again. Do better the second time. The only people who never tumble are those who never mount the high wire. This is your moment. Own it. G-Mac out. See you tomorrow. G-Mac's morning motivational moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Keen Tracy, the Irish Independence with us. Keen, good morning to you. Hey, lads, how are we? We have breaking news on the future of Eddie Jones this morning, right? A press release has just dropped in our inbox at 7.59 with big, big news. Eddie Jones will coach Barbarians FC next May against the Steve Hansen-led World 15 at Twickenham. I mean, you scared me there for a second because hey. I was sitting outside on my phone <laughs> and I was what? like, I didn't get any email into my inbox, so yeah, you must be on a specialist. Uh, yeah, interesting, but... Back to England in May just mm. to stick their life in for everybody. It's yeah. perfect. It seems like Australia, the Wallabies, so are kind of hovering, doesn't it? And it almost kind of reminds you of the Warren Gatlin situation where he's kind of flirting with Wales that, oh, I'm here, I haven't gone away, you know. So <laughs> be interesting. Um, what will he do with, will he get the big job or will it just be a consultant for a period of time and then... I can't see them ditching Dave Rennie at this age, even though, like, if you think back to that Wales-Australia game, which was the, the last game of the autumn, um, if Australia had lost that, he, Dave Rennie probably would have been the one to lose his job. Oh, and Pivac would have kept it. Yeah. So it's like, it, it just shows how, how fine the margins are. Um, I would imagine if if the Australian Union get him in, it would probably be like something they did in uh, South Africa did in 2007 when Eddie Jones came in as a consultant. But, I mean, for Dave Rennie, he probably won't have much say in it anyway because the people above him will be making the decision. But there's an element of Turkey's vote for Christmas, isn't it? Um, yeah. Particularly when he was under so much pressure. Yeah, there's, I guess that's one way of looking at it. The other thing is that it looked clear like he has a gig with the USA. Mm. I mean, certainly it has been long touted that he's going to get a massive long-term deal with them to take him through two World Cup cycles this is Jones so maybe you bring Eddie Jones in and you show oh, look I'm, I'm a big man you work with him for the short period of time up to the next World Cup and then away he goes and you get the benefit of it like that's if, if I'm trying to spin it in a positive mm. way for Dave Rennie you can come out of this looking good and being the bigger man for the better of your country 
But then again, if it goes really well, people will say, oh, this is Eddie Jones has come in and kind of turned things around and then all of a sudden you're out of a job. So I don't know. I think a lot will probably depend on Eddie Jones where he sees himself. There's probably a bit of an element of almost Cristiano Ronaldo, like where does his ambitions lie? Going to USA is a very, very different task. They obviously are going to host a World Cup that is a job like building from scratch like they don't clearly don't have the, the calibre of players but Eddie Jones would put systems in place there so that's very different than going to a World Cup we'll say with the likes of Australia who who are probably dark horses really I mean it, it got overlooked this year they didn't have a great year but they had so many bad injuries they gave Ireland a really good game at the Aviva Stadium so if they can get players back fit I think they're, and they're in the good side of the draw as we keep saying when we're in here so um, you never know so yeah like it, it just shows like how fickle the, the, the whole game is when that, that, there was so much riding on that Wales Australia game. You're hearing of all these the English lads coming out now saying that mm. oh, wasn't all Eddie Jones's fault. I mean, like uh, surely the, that the players were actually yeah like, cons- like consulted about this whole thing. So was that was a major part of the the review that Conor O'Shea was undertaking, like was going around asking the players. So it's interesting. You've seen Owen Farrell come out like he's never going to come out as England captain and and slate Eddie Jones. But someone like Lewis Ludlam I saw came out like you wouldn't say he was a, a first team starter at all. Anthony Watson has come out. So um, it's all well and good what you're saying in public and this is probably part of the reason why the IRFU never really want to release the public findings of their review because they are supposed to be kept you know some way confidential because you know people are going to be much more honest behind the scenes but yeah it's interesting but it doesn't really surprise me the likes of Watson and Farrell uh, coming out backing him because Eddie Jones was played a massive part in their career as well but I think I read in the one of the papers this morning Anthony Watson describing Eddie Jones as a world-class human and and stuff like this but again they're senior players within the setup so perhaps not that surprising. Could I say anything else? Exactly, yeah. You know, because <laughs> if you say anything, like Steve Borthwick will be looking at you going, so you're disloyal in public <laughs> to the last guy, what are you going to say about me? Yeah. Um, you don't want to be... You're uh, not going to be that. You don't want to be the early one putting your head above no. the parapet. You you know. Just wait for the books to come out. I was going to say, yeah. when somebody's paying you and there's a serialisation... <laughs> Owen Farrell's book comes out in a few years, you'll, you'll get it all. No, I doubt it. I think he's he think he's like his dad. Um, he, he seems to be. He seems to be... Yeah, cut, very much cut from the same cloth, yeah. Steady, steady hand. Yeah. Um, we we get a lot of trouble from not talking about Connacht uh, ever on uh, when it comes to European weeks, but you know qualify for the European Cup and then we'll we'll <laughs> we'll prioritise you. But in fairness, Connacht picked a B team and played really well and uh, not a B team, but certainly uh, not their full um, strength side. And Andy Fern was very clear about it. Like we have strength in depth, but we have to be brave to use it. And they were brave and they got the rewards. Yeah, like that was always the big question. Like, were they going to put all their eggs in the URC basket to try and get back into the Champions Cup that way? Or, but like, you know, the Challenge Cup is a potentially a trophy they could could win. But when it gets to the latter stage of that, you're going to have teams dropping in from the Champions Cup as well. So it does get more difficult to win. It's probably a smart approach, to be fair. You know, spreading the talent and they they do have good players coming through Connacht over the last few years, and it's just trying to gel them all together. And I think I was making this point maybe. The last one, the last time Zomichi, like the big thing for Connacht at the moment is not letting the, the season peter out that Andy Friend is leaving. Um, you've, you've seen it happen so many times in all different sports. When you look, look at Munster, for example, last season, uh, it just kind of like fell away towards the end of it. Um, I don't get the impression that will happen, particularly because you have a guy like Pete Wilkins in there who is definitely the strong favourite to take over from Andy Friend. So you wouldn't imagine the standards are going to drop, but. Connacht have left themselves in a tricky position in the URC but if they're able to pick up wins in the Challenge Cup like they're going to Breve on Friday night now like I mean that, that'll be Breve at bottom of the top 14 I think I'm right in saying but going back over like they've sacked Jeremy Davison this season they've got Sammy Arnold who was playing for Connacht up until recently um, so that's not going to be easy a Friday night game but if they can pick up wins in the Challenge Cup all of a sudden they get a little bit of momentum and they go back into the URC then in a much better place because that performance against Munster a few weeks ago was so disappointing after just before the break they'd racked up I think it was 
against three wins in a row against the Welsh team so they've already done their tough part of the season by going to South Africa the other provinces also have been there Munster and, and Leinster haven't been yet um, so they do have a, a good chunk of the difficult part out of the way but it is still trying to manage your resources because there's no doubt they don't have the same strength and depth as mm. as the other provinces but when you have younger guys coming in like Dermot Kilgallen these kind of guys uh, Paul Boyle like leading from the front he's, he's obviously been a good leader for them as well um, it's encouraging but it's not surprising to see that they're going to focus on the URC They really are like <clears throat> I know they rotated last year but I suppose they had the benefit of even like when their games postponed for COVID, you can rest players regardless. Mm. But now all of a sudden they're properly rotating the team, which is I don't know if it's Andy, Andy Friend saying in his last year he wants to really do that. But I mean, I guess the Challenge Cup gives you the opportunity to test those players out. Yeah, and like the thing is, like you have guys who you know you need to manage people's minutes. Now they don't have that same issue compared to other provinces because simply by the fact that they don't have as many Ireland internationals. Even someone like Bundyaki only came back in and ordinarily would have played a much bigger part for Ireland if he hadn't have been suspended. Like Jack Harty's been been out of the setup, so they do have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of managing the resources. But if they can get the younger guys in around the, the likes of a Bundyaki and a Jack Harty, that's the best way to do it. I, I think that's one of the things that Leinster, Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster do brilliantly is that when they are enhancing their strength and depth, they don't necessarily throw loads of young lads in at the same time. They pair them up with experienced guys. So for ages, you saw James Ryan playing with Devon Toner because, you know, that like, you know, learn off this guy. So I think Connacht, if they can do something similar this weekend, I don't necessarily know if we'll see Bundyaki starting going to breathe at the weekend because you're just risking him picking up an injury when yeah. you need him for the URC, particularly over the, the festive period, which we know is so busy. Yeah. Let's talk about Leinster. Um, um, they play Gloucester side who had to come from behind at home against Bordeaux at the uh, opening one but they did manage to come from behind and they did score four tries so they are on five points what kind of form are Gloucester in other than that coming here? They're decent but there's a big discrepancy I would say in the Premiership this season Saracens are back and they're leading the way comfortably out in front um, yeah like I mean Leinster will, will pay them the full respect but I would imagine they're, this is five points um, written all over it for, for Leinster at home particularly in how they played last week I mean Johnny Sexton and Tyg Furlong started running at the end of last week but there's absolutely no sense that Leinster are going to rush them back this week because they don't have to I think if you had maybe and no disrespect to Gloucester if you had like a La Rochelle or someone coming to the RDS there might be a bit more sense of like get these guys back but there isn't you have Ross Byrne played well in Paris or La Harve last week and Michael Alatoa did so that just sums up maybe the sense of I don't, I don't think there'd be complacency at all from Leinster's part but they're in such a good place at the moment that they don't need to rush these guys back and yeah I wouldn't I, Gloucester could put it up to them in the early stages but I mean yeah I, I think it just says five points written all over I just it. checked the, the spread it's 22 points 22 yeah there you go Wow. Yeah, that is. And that's probably not going to be too far wrong. I mean, if you look at how well Leinster played last weekend, they were sensational. It's like watching Ireland, I thought, at times, which is easy to say because you've got the same personnel, but it's different systems. But it's just the way the, the shapes they're running. Um, we, we've spoken so much, and I know you guys have as well, about the importance of the quick rock ball. And Leinster, I think I saw Ross Hamilton had 3.09, uh, was the fastest in the of the any of the teams over the weekend. And it was interesting, actually, uh, Opta had stats up that before the tournament that La Rochelle had, were the, the team that were able to slow down uh, opposition rocks the most. I think it was 4.39 right. was their average. So when you put those two stats together... 
when Leinster lost the the semi final to La Rochelle two two seasons ago, the, everything that was being built up to beat a team like La Rochelle, and then of course they played them in the final and they lost again. But I get the sense that they've gone away again and they've doubled down on everything they're doing at the moment is trying to beat a team like, like La Rochelle. And when I saw those two stats together, the the rock speeds, it was kind of you know this is clearly the focus that they've put on. But you look at the the pack, the, the pack looks a bit beefier with Jason Jenkins in there, Ryan Baird in the back row, uh, looks have a little bit more of a, a balance, a bit more punch. So, uh, yeah, they're in a good place for sure. Uh, a funny position for Leinster to be in because even the lads on <clears throat> Monday Night Rugby last night talked about the fact that anything but a Heineken Champions Cup win is a failure of a season, which is a remarkable bar to be setting, but I guess that's where Leinster are. Like Stuart Lancaster has only won one Champions Cup. Like, it's crazy. Like, if he leaves at the end of the season with one Champions Cup, I think he himself would admit that there's an element of failure might be too strong, but they judge themselves on the highest standard. So, no matter we what we guys are saying here, they say that internally as well and have gotten so close because they have been there, thereabouts all the time, but they've fallen short. It's just not good enough for a team like Leinster when you look at the coaching staff that they have and also the playing squad. So, um, they're still clearly hurting from last season you have the added element of Stuart Lancaster leaving that's huge motivation for him from a personal point of view it's from a squad point of view and then Johnny Sexton's probably last season you never really know with him but probably going to be last season there's a huge amount of motivation there's definitely a sense that it's now or never for this particular Leinster squad purely by the fact that like they're going to have coaching change over next season like I mean we were talking to Robin McBride yesterday he's obviously been linked with a return to Warren Gatlin's backroom team and he's kind of playing that down You've got Andrew Goodman on the coaching staff who's getting really, really high praise. He could be a guy who could step up and take on more responsibility uh, when Lancaster leaves. Will Sean O'Brien, will something similar happen? Because it's going to be very difficult for Leinster to go out and get a direct like-for-like replacement for Lancaster who does attack and defence. So unless they, they magic someone up, I'm not really sure who, who could do both to that same standard or else you might see a restructuring of the coaching staff. Was it your piece or Rudd's piece that was talking about uh, the long-term, the medium-term future where uh, apparently David Nusifor is, is finished at the end of this next contract? Is there a general consensus he's leaving? Yeah, that seems to be the sense. All right, I don't think he has said it explicitly, but definitely seems to be the sense that he is on his way out. Yeah, I think there, he might have even left before, but he's kept on just to get the succession plan. And you're going to ask me about Leo Cullen. Yeah, so... I don't know like I mean it, it keeps getting mentioned but like Leo Cullen keeps his cards very close to his chest anyway like it's such a different gig to go into the IRFU and be I, I don't really get the sense that it would be Leo Cullen's cup of tea it'll be very, like it's going to be very interesting to see what Leo Cullen does next season like I'd be shocked he's going to stay on but He's obviously been signing these one-year rolling contracts, which every time it gets announced, you can kind of feel the sense of panic from from Leinster fans. And he obviously has his own personal reasons uh, for doing that. But with Lancaster gone, like there's going to be far more of an emphasis on uh, Leo Cullen because he does a lot of kind of the, the forward play. But he's going to have to take on more responsibility, I'd imagine, on the pitch. Is that something he wants to do? I'd imagine it is. So taking on David Nusifora's job is very very different to you know running Leinster day to day so um, I think he would be very good at it but yeah, I don't know what, the, like, he, he would be very good at it but you'll have I, I guarantee you now for me having said that you'll probably have Munster fans and Ulster fans saying oh you, you should get someone from the outside because there'll be natural bias but I don't get that sense with Leo Cullen at all I think or else be, we should use the most successful yeah, person in Irish yeah, that's be, the flip side yeah you know, but he, he's such a steady hand like you look at the job that he's done at Leinster like we've all said like the, the fact he got Lancaster in at a time when we talk about uh, Eddie Jones and 
Dave Rennie turkey yeah. voting for Christmas we definitely probably would have said the same thing about Leo Cullen when he got to Stuart Lancaster in the time I know he was going to damage goods after the World Cup but getting a guy that experience in and it's worked so well so I think he would be brilliant at the job and maybe somewhere down the line he might look at it but I would be surprised if he took over from David Nusifora but I could be very wrong on that um, uh, he got Graham Henry and even before that as mm. well to show that like yeah happy to learn um, yeah, the, the stuff they do with the Crusaders like the, he's a brilliant networker yeah. uh, like opening up all these different avenues and tapping into different resources and that's a huge part of Leinster's success yeah yeah. so like if you're the IRFU there aren't many other internal candidates for that role no like someone like Conor O'Shea but he's obviously been over at the RFU and it's still like really not fully clear what his job is like I said he's been going around he's a key part of the review at the moment but it's difficult to get a sense on what his actual role is but someone like him Clive I think, Woodward not a big fan no no Clive Woodward isn't a big fan of many people it seems um, but, Clive Woodward obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it seems like he, he, someone like that would be a good fit whereas Leinster I think need Leo Cullen over the next couple of years with Lancaster even because he's going to leave a massive void Okay. Um, the Munster performance at the weekend, obviously, it, it creates a, a lot of difficulty for them in this competition, as you were pointing out today mm-hmm. in, in the Irish Independent. Uh, the old tournament, with all its flaws, still gave you an opportunity to get back in, into it. But like, once you lose one of these games, you're really up against it. Yeah, they are. I think the draw is relatively favourable, I would say, because we can obviously compare it to Ulster, and that's what I was doing in the piece today, whereas Ulster have back-to-back games against La Rochelle now, and you would not be confident of them picking up a win in either of them. And even if they did rally and put in a big performance this weekend, they're so inconsistent that you wouldn't have much faith in them going to France, getting the win after Christmas. So Munster back-to-back against Northampton are very, very winnable games. Um, if they win in Franklin's Gardens on Sunday by the time Northampton come to Toman Park their interest could be out of it Like I think they're in around 6 in the Premiership table if, if memory serves uh, so they're going to try and get into the playoffs so they might send over a weakened team then you're almost you're looking at 5 points and then you're back into it before you go to Toulouse whereas I just wouldn't have that same kind of optimism around Ulster so uh, yeah Munster have left themselves with their backs against the wall but they've given themselves I think a good a good solid platform on which to build um, like losing 39-0 away to Sale and losing narrowly to one of the best teams in the competition at home I think are two very very different things as well in terms of Munster and Leinster uh, we, we talked with Quinny a good bit yesterday about the, the travel being a factor for Ulster and the early kickoff, and he kind of explained from a player's perspective it's just tough like you have to force down the meal beforehand Obviously, it is easier for the home team. They sleep in their own beds, and it's um, you know it's a significant enough difference. But it's not thirty nine nil. Like, no. No. oh, we had very high hopes for Ulster. Yeah, like to be fair, I think I don't think Dan McFarlane used that as an excuse. He could have, but he didn't. And I would be more leaning to you now, albeit neither of us have been kind of professional rugby, so Quinny knows what he's talking about. But I think that can be overplayed a little bit as well. You look at Leinster. I know they didn't arrive until they still got there the night before, but they had a mad journey to get there as well. Like they had to get taxis from an airport. A bus didn't show up after a really long delay. Now at least they got a, a proper night's kit the night before. But uh, yeah, Ulster in a weird, a strange, a strange, difficult position. Um, the hangover from that RDS defeat is is very evident and. Their season now is threatening to, I would say, go off the rails, which is sounds a bit strong. But if they're to lose in, at home to La Rochelle, which is very real possibility, particularly because Raj has come in and changed the whole culture around La Rochelle, like they're not going to send a weakened team to, to Belfast this weekend at all. They're going to be uh, all they're going to smell blood. Mm. Absolutely. They're champions as well. So uh, that is a very, very difficult task. Now, the flip side is if they get a, a win there this weekend, Ulster, it could transform the season. But I wouldn't be too optimistic. I think we're seeing continuously that they're so reliant 
reliant on a particular few players like John Cooney is such a massive loss they, they lack control at half back when John Cooney isn't there because he almost plays the role as scrum half and out half and you know you've got Nathan Doak there who's still you know still very much developing and I think a lot of Ulster fans were probably annoyed that more of their players didn't get a look in with Ireland you look at James Hume was sent back up the road after that Ireland A game but we're probably seeing why Andy Farrell didn't pick a lot of these Ulster players like I mean Andy Farrell is a really has a really good eye for form and things like that and you know we're seeing that now there's been big cries about why isn't Nathan Doak getting capped and I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks particularly in the RDS when Leinster went after him and Cooney went off injured that you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of work to do I think in this Ulster team and while they've they've done really well to get semi to semi-finals and I know they got to a final in 2020 but they got hammered by Leinster there's still a big jump to go from where they were to get to that next level and I think Munster have kind of been similar enough knocking around that thing but you see how big the gap is to get there so um, I think there's there's questions over the, the mental maybe fragility of this of this Ulster squad I mean you look at the, the games they lost at the end of the last season particularly over in South Africa when Leinster were out of the equation in the URC they were never going to get a better chance to win it particularly because if they'd won over there against the Stormers I think it was uh, they would have had a home final so you I mean like if you're not going to get it then when are you so think back to Toulouse in the Champions Cup as well where they really should have won that game as well so um, there are question marks over them I think there's probably been a bit of an overreaction I've seen like a lot of angry Ulster fans online calling for Dan McFarland's head like it's so easy to forget the job that he has done yeah. like I mean we go back to Brian O'Driscoll's basket case you know not many people would have come in and wanted to go near that job he came in he steadied the ship and all of a sudden you're you know the expectations around the team suddenly change and it's, you know people have short memories so um, they're capable of getting it back on track but I would worry for them with a back-to-back dates against La Rochelle who looked very good last weekend against Northampton as well Alright, Keen, great stuff thanks for Keen joining us Now I'm delighted to say we're joined by Mayo Senior Football Assistant Manager Stephen Rochford who has uh, come on board as one of this year's ambassadors for the Go Mile proudly supported by AIB this Christmas, AIB are encouraging communities across the island of Ireland to step up together and re-establish the tradition of taking part in the Gold Mile. People and communities across Ireland can step up together to take part by visiting goldmile.org. Stephen, good morning to you. Morning, Ger. How are you keeping? Where will your Gold Mile be? Will you do it on Christmas Day or are you uh, strictly a Stephen's Day recovering type of uh, Gold Miler? Yeah, I, 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 I'd, I'd rather put that the family-orientated uh, Gold Miler on, on Stephen's Day. Uh, work off the, the little bit of turkey. And uh, is there is there training on Christmas Day? Are you one of those um, uh, hardcore no. counties that gets everybody out and says, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. We allow them uh, uh, unwrap their, their their Santa presents and uh, and lead them to it. We'll uh, we'll finish up on the twenty second and we'll uh, we'll get back in. I think on the twenty eighth or the twenty ninth. Um, I, 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 you've obviously been around the intercounty scene now for the best part of a decade, and you, before that, like with a, a very high-performing club team. So you've seen all kind of sides of it. Are we getting a little bit better at allowing players to manage their own times, or uh, is it still as regimented, if not more regimented, than maybe it would have been when you came in? Um, I think there's, I think, <clears throat> I think there's definitely a balance to be got in it. Um, I, I certainly. My own um, outlook in it is that uh, you know all these all these guys are, are adults and need to be treated like like adults. So uh, I think we, we put a schedule in place, but as regards hard and fast rules around do's and do nots, I think that's that, that should be very very limited. Um, so for for like when I was in Carfin, we never had any sort of drinking ban or any of the that sort of rule set. Uh, and and the same in Mayo and and, and, and again in Donegal there was never a sense of uh, 
Um, you know, I think I think probably it, my my view on it, Joe, is when you start setting rules up in front of people, rules end up getting broken, and and they put you into positions that maybe um, there was unintended consequences for. So so a guy goes out for a meal with with girlfriend or wife or family member has a glass of wine versus somebody that that uh, takes the Mickey out of it. Both guys are drinking. Who 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 gets who gets punished if that's the the right term? So I think they're you're 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 trying to make guys make good judgment calls. It's what you expect them to do when they're when they're in the I suppose performance arena. So um, it's it's like that, you know, with their off field activities. We had David Moran on last week, and he was basically saying that things have calmed down a, a significant amount, really. And he just even he was. Uh, talking about other clubs, you know, you would have seen the the club charter going viral on social over the last decade or so, and he was like, "That was all madness," you know, like this this is this is lads' hobbies, and the split season has definitely helped. He was saying from from that perspective. So at Corfin, there was never any charters or any of that kind of stuff. No, no certainly not. Um, we're more 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 concerned what was happening on the field, and then I think. Those, those, and uh, you refer to it at the at the outset. Those high performing teams, those ambitious teams, in in, in many many cases, they self regulate. Um, you know, they they police uh, all those those uh, aspects, the behaviours. You know, if you want to use that 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 term, and that's uh, that's where you want it to be. Um, people, you know, leading and 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 I suppose older guys, all right, who who might have a bit more of um, you know a tendency to to, to you know tell the young fellas what, what not to do and, and, and what they should be doing. Um, I think it's it's better by them, you know, role modelling uh, the way it, it needs to be. And, and thankfully, in, in any of the environments I've been in, um, we've had we've had people to put their hand up in, in that regard and show the, the, the new guys, this is, this is the way it is if you want to perform consistently at the top level. Um, Stephen, when you mentioned Cora Finn there, like we've been kind of speaking on the show the last week or so about the... I guess the quality level of club football at the minute, when you look at the likes of Glenn and Kilmacud and the levels they've reached, I got in a little bit of bother for my take. I kind of was almost saying the. I Kilma- saw that Shane. You I did. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you know where I'm headed with this. But um, I, I was kind of making the point that Kilmacud would certainly uh, compete in a Division Four level, maybe a Division Three level as well. Ah, you I went th- a bit further than that. I did. On. I, I think you were saying they'd win the Talton Cup. Well, I, I, I think, think you might be right. Am Stephen. I incorrect in, in saying? No, hundred percent. You'd be right, Stephen. So. What, <laughs> Where where is club football at, and, and and how far off or far on the mark was I? Basically, he wants to know when Cora Finn have won the Talton. You can say it now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I I I think the 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 level of detail that's going into all inter county teams preparation out that I think it's it, it's significantly difficult to compare a, a, a top club team, be it from Cora Finn, Doctor Crokes in their time when when. when when Gooch was was running the show there with Johnny Buckley to, you know, Kill McCud, Kill Glenn. I think what you, what you got to remember is that in an intercounty setting, you know, their 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 most average footballer is the best club footballer possibly for for their club. And when you bring that all together, um, you know, teams from Division Three, Four, um, I I, I think uh, would would easily well not easily. I think that's a little bit disparaging as well to, to, to say. I think they'd. They'd, uh, they'd easily hold their own, though, uh, against uh, any of the top club teams. That's me told, I think. That, that is certainly me told. Like, I guess the, the, the overall point, though, was the, the level at which club is at, even compared to, say, 10 years ago, is just is unbelievable. And the split season is, uh, only, is only going to send that northward. 
Yeah, and, and I, I think that's absolutely correct. I think, you know, club football over the last 20 years, you know, like I, I was fortunate enough to play with a, an All-Ireland club winning team and cross the line and that, that was at the, the, the start of the, the noughties. And knowing, seeing, and, and I know that we, we put in a lot of time and effort now, but I but going through, you know, whatever, seven or eight years ago with Curra Finn um, and now seeing it on the inter-county side, I think as the inter-county bar rises, the club bar ends up rising because those players see what's happening in inter-county and they go back to their clubs and they're trying to bring a version of that uh, into the club. And, and, you know, there's, you know, that bar has risen steadily. And I think probably in some cases there, there may be a widening at club level in, in certain places. Um, and, and that's still to say that the, the club scene is, is a much better place than probably it was, you know, 10 years ago. But I think that the inter-county at the pace in which that's continually improved has just ensured that there will remain that gap. Do you, do, have you noticed, Stephen, I'm sure you get to plenty of club matches, but um, I guess a, a parallel between the level and quality and style of club football in the county versus that of, of that county's inter-county team. Like, <clears throat> I know in Donegal, for example, the club football, very often low-scoring matches, and sometimes it can be reflected in the in, in the county setup. Like. It, is that is that a trend we're starting to see more and more of? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I don't think it always necessarily reflects what you know that the, the club scene uh, reflects the the the, the inter county uh, and the club. I don't think they, they necessarily mirror each other. Um, I do think though that you know teams reflect you know one of what the the, the, the manager the coach see as as being the strength of the team and it's it, I think it's it's very fair to say that in in um, in Donegal it's it's very much a possession based scene for, for for the club teams. Um, you know, pe- people might might term that a little bit more defensive or, or whatever it is. But um, you know, having got to the club games in Mayo um, this year, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I hadn't been to many club games between COVID and and whatnot over over the previous three years, but. Um, you know, seeing uh, teams showing um, a right level of ambition as regards looking to move the ball uh, accurately and, um, you know, at pace. And I think, you know, that's what we would love to try and do with, with, with Mayo, no doubt. But um, I, don't, I don't think it's, it, it, it's, it's absolutely reflective, but obviously it does have a, a part to play. It's no more than the, the, the previous point I was making around what the uh, county player sees in, in, in that inter-county environment, they look to bring back some of those to, to the club and possibly it, it, it reflects a little bit as regards maybe the style of play. Um, and then if, 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 if at the same time players have been consistently playing that level, it, it does become a little bit trickier then to break that down from uh, an inter-county point of view. Uh, I don't know if you're watching the World Cup with your analyst hat on, but um, certainly one of the trends that has emerged is that having possession doesn't really matter as much anymore as how quickly you manage to do something with it. And so fewer and fewer teams are trying to play the tiki-taka Barcelona style and more teams are trying to do what Liverpool do when they get the ball is to get it forward quickly to their forward players who, as soon as you affect the turnover, if you can get it forward to them fast, they're more likely to be in a one-on-one or in a slightly favourable situation. Is there a way that we can get this into the games where it's, um, you know, less of the, okay, we have the ball, we're going to sit here for five minutes and we're going to keep it and see what happens? I think it probably is happening anyway. Yeah, well, I think it's, uh, I think, I think, sure, any team that that's looking to go out and, and look at, really compete at the top level needs to have a number of different 
um, arms to their attack when they're in possession. Uh, obviously, as, as you've alluded to, the easiest thing to do is to, to is to get the ball forward, or sorry, the, 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 the most desired way is to get the ball forward as quickly as possible where there's more space, where there's less bodies to compete with, to create that, that higher percentage score shot. Um, but it isn't always as easy as that. There's circumstances in relation to restarts, free kicks, um, good tactical uh, foul and substitutions. All of these bits also lead in uh, and good opposition defending to slow, slow down the, op- the opposition as well. Um, so I, I think uh, I think the possession element will remain, but at the same time, I think teams that want to compete need to be a bit more adventurous. I think they need to be able to play with um, uh, no no element of, of fear uh, or failure. Um, we need to be able to take, like a good decision will always remain a good decision. So if that means moving the ball at pace, it means running the ball, if it means holding on to it, I think from a coach's point of view is that you want the, the players to be in a position to be able to make those decisions and execute those um, patterns when, <clears throat> excuse me, when the opposition present whatever the conundrum is. So if they've played with 12 or 13 behind the ball, well, then you, you need to break that down. If you can get a quick turnover and you can get the ball forward, you need to also be skilled uh, and everybody to be on the same wavelength around what that looks like. Yeah, okay. I, uh, can I ask you a little bit about, um, you, you were very young as a manager having the success that you had at club and county level and you've gone kind of reverse to many people back into setups without being the manager having already been the manager I don't know if that was by design if you felt like that was something you wanted to do what, what was your thinking behind that and, and retrospectively what do you make of that uh, career journey that you've been on so I suppose um, Joe or uh, Ger, sorry, I got my nights and, and mornings yeah. uh, backwards there Um I suppose the when I, when I started out in coaching, you know, you know, nearly twenty years ago, I remember. Um, I, think I think I was at a, a club function only a, a, a week or so ago, and saw a, a picture when I took over the under twenty one team across the line in two thousand and three. So um, it, it was about it was about coaching really at that point, and um, I had had really good experiences through school around seeing uh, good good teachers, good coaches. Uh, showing how, how you can play a good brand of football and that really interested me. The management side of it didn't really. Um so though though in club, manager and coach, you you're 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 a jack of all trades back then. Um and then going with Curafin, it was very much hands on manager into a, a, and coach role. Um and I suppose then when you <clears throat> when the Mayo job came up, um there isn't that uh, opportunity to coach as often it's a it's a much more you know, relationship management, it's it's the players, it's county board, it's media, it's sponsors, there's, there's a number of different stakeholders. Um, and whilst I enjoyed that, um, a, you know, I, I missed the, 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 the coaching element. Um, obviously, when I stepped away from Mayo, um, I had uh, at that point plans to, to, to remain uh, in the inter-county game. The opportunity arose then to get, to get in um, as a coach with, with Donegal. Um, a top team um, so I suppose that's just the way things lined up um, and I really I really enjoyed that really I think um, you know from from that guy that was uh, that, that started off with Cara Finn as a coach to into doing some coaching limited as it was uh, in Mayo um, and, and I'm with Donegal I feel now that, I'm, that I am a much better coach much better appreciation around 
again what, what's happening in the game um and and and, and learned uh, uh so much in in Donegal uh, with with the national league campaigns and the ultra championship so um i i'm not saying that i that that returning to a manager's role isn't something that that i'd like to do again uh, at a later stage um i did consider putting my name in the hat when, when the mayo job came up um but just the way again the cards the cards fell uh, a fit as a system manager and coach just 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 was something that 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 suited and fit it better for me at this moment in time you mentioned uh, Donegal there Stephen and, and it's, I think it's still house private up there with the, the news that Michael Murphy is is hanging up the boots the inter-county boots for uh, for now anyway um, like just what, what, what made him such a great footballer as someone who, who would have worked with him there for a, for a few years as selector in Donegal and, and where does he rank in terms of the all-time greats yeah, so 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 one or two people have asked me that over over time, not just in the in, in the last month, but I think there's a there's a, a certain element of curiosity around Mayo and uh, his dad having been a Mayo man and yeah. memories of 2012 still still linger um, and what could have been and um, the Gardy had stationed uh, Mick Murphy back in back closer to 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 to, to Ballina. but um, in that uh, I think I think what you get with with with, with Michael is is firstly he's uh, he, he's a, he's just a good person. He's a really good person. Um, you know, he's he's a phenomenal footballer uh, and he's an outstanding leader. Um, and I think it's probably rare that you get get all of those uh, all together. I've, I've I've been fortunate through through club um, in Cross Malina and through Mayo to Carrickfin and, and Donegal to have coached and played with with with, with many great players. Uh, it, it'd be unfair to. To others, to sort of say Michael was was, was the greatest, and, and forget other people like Kieran McDonald, James Nallan, Paddy Gardner, Mike Moyes, Kieran Fitzgerald, and Kerfin or whatever. So I would say he's definitely one of the greatest, um, without without doubt. Um, he and and I think you know he'd never do he'd never do anything uh, or expect or ask you to do something that he wasn't willing and able to do himself, and, and probably had done previously. Um, and that's, I think, is is a is testament to the standards that that that, that Michael lived by, played by, um, and he, he certainly is a is a loss to Donegal. But he'd be the first to say Donegal goes on, uh, and they'll have they'll have new Michael Murphy esques. Uh, there's a lot of good quality footballers there. I think you know, while Michael has departed, and and, and Neil McGee obviously had retired earlier this summer, um, they have an under twenty one or under twenty team. That, that ran that All Ireland winning Tyrone team into extra time and were beaten by I think a goal at, at, the, at the tail end of the game. So there's still good quality coming through in, in Donegal. So I expect them to 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 be at it again uh, in 2023. It's funny, Stephen. We had um, we had Morris Deegan uh, uh, now retired in the county ref on the, on the show last week, and he was referencing Michael Murphy as well. Uh, one of the things he spoke about, and look, I know you've you've been asked in the last couple of days about the, the GA rules and, and how much they're changing and how often they're changing. Uh, one thing we spoke about to, to Morris about was was perhaps miking up referees. Um, referee abuse is something that, that seems to be far too commonplace in the game and I'm sure as male manager you, you had to put up with social media abuse yourself at different points but uh, do you think that's a good idea in club and county perhaps miking up referees? Um. I, th- I think there'll obviously be pros and cons to it. I think it's a it's a case of trying to see the, the pros outweigh the cons. I think 
Um, uh, I think from a from a, a pros point of view, it, it would definitely. Uh, I think from a spectator and from a, a management and player point of view, it would definitely give an insight as regards why certain decisions are made or or interpretation of of, of certain rules uh, are had. And I think that's that 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 ultimately, I think is is the most frustrating piece is that you get a referee maybe on the same day in two different parts of the country uh, in implementing an interpretation of of, of the game. Um, I, I wouldn't think that the, I don't think there's a there's a, there's a big problem um, uh, with refereeing or anything like that in the country. But I think at, at key times there there, there can be um, there, there can be big calls. I think if I was to go back to the All Ireland final this year, I think the, the John Daly um, uh, one down at the hill late in the second half against Kerry, whereby I think every second person in the, in, in Co Park was debating, well, was it a, should it have been a free out or should it have been a Kerry free or, you know, and I, I think probably in, in those circumstances, it certainly has, has benefit. At the same time, you know, uh, how, how would referees be about it? I think, you know, in, in you know, the opportunity um, there for, for, for everybody to be accountable. And it may also drive the proper behaviours from players as regards that that uh, commentary back to, to, to referees. Um, if, if it was to, to help with that um, and uh, I suppose breathe the, the consistency, I think that it would be a, a positive uh, aspect to, to trial anyway. Um, I, I, I know that there's other other rules that maybe the, the, the GA are, 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 are tempted with, with, with trialing and, and, you know, miking up a referee um, might, might be something more trialing for a national league or something. Uh, just a final one for me, Stephen. I'm just looking at the uh, the college championship draw in front of me here and it's <laughs> it's an interesting one because you look at the likes of London, Sligo, New York and Leitrim. I mean, one of the four will, will contest the Connacht final this year and in turn compete in All-Ireland rather than the Talton Cup. So for yourselves in Mayo, you have Roscommon in the quarter-final and then the winner plays Galway. So, it's not the easiest of draws you could have had. No, um, it's not. It's 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 as tough as it, it gets. Um, but but that's just the way the draw goes. I mean, there's 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 no um, there's no getting away from it. Um, you know, we we have had just um, had a, a a tough national league campaign, um, and then you're out. You know, either fourteen days after the tail end of the, the national league or seven days after the national league final. So. Um, it is what it is. Um, as, you, as you get into the the, the, the further uh, advance in, in the championship, and hopefully we will be there. Games come back to back, and they'll be, you know, by the by the nature of the top sixteen teams uh, between uh, uh, provincial champions and national league places, um, it's going to be a really tough championship either way. So um, the kind of championship has been a um, a tough hunting ground over the last. Uh, the last period for, for for Mayo, I think the the, the rise of of Galway um, uh, last year, uh, and and obviously pushing on to the All Ireland final has will have risen the confidence in the, in in the group and also across the the Galway county. And then Roscommon are under a new management that's going to bring a new energy and new ideas to them. So, you know, our focus primarily uh, at the moment is just getting that strong uh, preseason foundation in. Uh, we have Galway in the first round of the National League, followed by Armagh, and, and, and there are immediate focus. But that 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 Roscommon Championship game is, is just off, just slightly off uh, centre of the radar at the moment. But 
as as the season moves uh, on, that'll that that'll, that'll certainly become uh, much more the, the focus point in, in in the in the coming weeks and months. Is Leroy coming back? We hope, Ger. We, we we hope. You know, that's that's a that's a big part in Mayo. We hope for a lot of things. Um, look, uh, you know, Lee is Lee, Lee is considering that. I mean, he's put in a lot of miles uh, with 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 Mayo over uh, the last decade. Um, and look, he's he's needed a bit of time. We 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 hope he will, but we will just have to wait and see. Stephen, great to have you back. Thanks a million. Cheers. Best Lovely. of luck with everything. Thanks, lads. Happy Christmas. Okay. You too. So it's uh, Stephen Rochford there, assistant manager of the uh, Mayo Footballers, helping to launch AIB sponsorship of the Gold Mile, a great tradition that you could definitely help to re-establish uh, at family level this year. It's 8.46 now. Thanks to our partners at Gillette. We have a great prize to give away. Head over to our social channels for a chance to win a Gillette Labs heated razor. It's a great prize for you or the family this Christmas. Just nominate your heated moment of the week for your chance to win. Good morning, John Duggan. Jer and Shane, how are we doing? Well, where do you want to start? Well, there's only one game in town, isn't there? Uh, Argentina-Croatia this evening. Come here, Bobo. Come here, Bobo. Oh. <laughs> I love it. You're all, you're all aboard the, <clears throat> the RG train, John. Um, <clears throat> there's more Argentina 78 than 86 for me. There's a nastiness to Argentina, <clears throat> and maybe there's uh, beauty in that chaos. I love it. Uh, I don't especially love it. No, the Dutch, no. Wi- the Dutch wind them up. <clears throat> I think they're both equally as... There's a pair of them in it, definitely. Yeah, but yeah. They, they're like the scene... I saw I saw some someone get in trouble for putting up, oh, the rugby players are all like clapping each oh, other Oh, I saw off. that, yeah, I yeah. Mean, come on, come on. Um, you get into your culture war stuff then. Like, really? That's, like uh, that, I, I know what that's like after my New Zealand tweet this summer, so you don't want to be going there. I mean, uh, this was far more egregious than... You're, you have an opinion that's like, you know, a personal experience. This is like nonsensical bullshit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, what the reason the Argentinians were so pissed off was because the Dutch players had been following the Argentinian players down and taking their yes, penalties. Yeah. Like, that is, you can't do that. And it's yeah. important as well, and that wasn't really important that that was released because you only have one side of the story if you see that photo. But you can do that, that's the thing. There's no Sorry. rule against it. Okay. I, I never remember being done before. I'd never uh, seen it. Yeah. No, no, no seen like, it. I mean, screw the Dutch. Once they started that, no, 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 you're you're off. It's also I'm thinking to myself, the likes of Messi must be thinking to himself now, I'm not swapping my jersey with anybody, because imagine if I win this World Cup in 20 or 30 years' time, how much my jersey will be worth. He's oh, worth yeah. enough now. Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's concerned about the jersey. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking Steve Hodge. <clears throat> but I mean, the Dutch, I actually respect what the Dutch did as well, because like, it's a bit of shithousery. I mean, you're put. this is going over the bar. Well, Do you know where you're going to put it? With respect, right? If you If you dish it out, then you can't whine afterwards when they're coming for you they came for them the Argentinians came for them and they won you got to take your you got to take your licking they didn't really whine much to the Dutch did they I mean Van Hal spoke a little bit of a bit who didn't whine much the Dutch afterwards about oh, the I, Argentina I mean, behaviour uh, well because they couldn't really because they knew what the rest of the world themselves. is whining about the Argentinians I'm like yeah come on anymore mean, two days dropping truth bombs on FIFA and the referees and not getting suspended how did that happen what's going on that referee's been sent home but the guy who refereed England France is staying and has a chance in the final. Yes. Yeah. Because he's a Brazilian. I mean, was he that bad? Well, he refereed very well. Was he that bad? Well, he gave the two penalties to England, which were both two penalties. penalties. What more do you want, lads? Well, well look, look, the referee is irrelevant to the one issue of that game was Harry Kane missed and cracked under the pressure. Are you concerned as a Spurs fan that he's going to come back? Ah, uh, well, it, it is. It did enter my mind that he's never won a trophy for Spurs. I did think that actually, and we've had this conversation before, that success for England gives Harry Kane comfort yes. in being a Spurs yeah. legend for the rest yeah. of his career. Yeah. 
Whereas this now, now adds a bit of urgency to, you know, if Bayern Munich come and say, you're our new guy. And they want him. Like, is there, it's hard to turn that down. No, I think if, if, if I was to take my Spurs hat out of the equation here, I think Harry Kane should leave Spurs and try and get a trophy somewhere. He needs to be, have a trophy around in his hands because that was, he'll never live that down unless something happens in his career that's better than that. Would he join Manchester United or is that too far away from a trophy? Um, well, can Man United afford him? Would they be spending the money? 100 million? Like PSG could. Because, um, you know, Bayern will spend the money. Yeah. I think Bayern need a player like that. At the end of this year, I would expect Messi and Neymar to be gone. Yeah. From PSG, right? So, yeah. You know, you play with Mbappe, he could do that. Yeah. Uh, they're making uh, fluttering eyelashes at Marcus Rashford during the week, the, the Qataris. Again, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this evening, lads, uh, it's going to be fascinating. Like, some of the Croatian performers, like Livakovic and Gold, is an amazing tournament. Um, you say four penalties. Croatia never missed a shootout uh, in in their in history. Um, like Guardiola is going to be one of these players that's going to be linked with every Premier League club now. Um, Did you say they've never lost a penalty shootout? Yeah, at the World Cup. Wow. And neither have the Germans. And I really do believe it is an it is an art, not a it's not a lottery. It's it, there is a, oh, there it's a skill a yeah. skill to it. I agree. Right. The only thing is that um, if everybody's practicing the same amount, then your your chances come back to fifty fifty. Yeah, and so then it's like, you, you, I you should be trying to make it as much of a lottery as possible by practicing to remove the element of chance. Yes, which ends up making it back to being a lottery again, right? Yeah. So it, then it says, well, what are you doing with your practice? Mm. Obviously, Luis Enrique is uh, go off and take a thousand penalties. Didn't quite work for those lads. Um, I think that I think that can sort technique, but it can't sort psychology. Yeah. So Rodrigo going up to take that penalty, you knew he's absolutely petrified. The Spanish players just look at the body language. I think practicing loads and loads and loads of penalties. But then again, Harry Kane's first penalty, you just, well, he, he just knew he was never going to miss it. But the second one, six minutes from the end, I could, I, I started sweating when I was watching that. And I had a couple of pints as well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't get rid of the element. You can't get rid of the element of pressure by practicing, but you can, you can increase your percentages. You can still miss, but you could take it from a 65 to a 75% chance of scoring. You, like, there is still that chance that 25% chance you're going to miss but if you can increase it by 10% by practicing constantly then why wouldn't you do it I, yeah, you I have, have no to. idea what's going to happen lads um, this evening I really don't um, I do think Argentina have better forward power um, but they, can they just curb the chaos yeah the, the Croatian chaos no the Argentinian their chaos own their chaos. own chaos uh, also they've been, they've been weak to, under direct play uh, they haven't been great in no, this tournament they haven't not you know like if, if Croatia have a big man, say Pekovic, up there, or if they start to go a bit more direct. I think they, problems. I think they revel in the chaos. I think the more chaotic it is, the better the Argentinians will be. Well, if you were to pick a team built to beat Argentina, Croatia are built to beat Argentina. Yeah, yeah, as they did four years ago, three nil. A game I was at, luckily, and uh, it was utter chaos from Argentina. Now it's less that way. I don't remember that game at all. Yeah, it was Madrid scored a wonderful goal from outside the box, like, right. curled into the corner. Willy Caballero made an absolute howler. Messi was anonymous. Um, and it was the midfield that won the show. Now, Argentina are better now, but... Uh, and Lino Scaloni, I think, is a good coach. He's made tactical good changes in the tournament. Mm. He's able to improvise uh, on the fly, which is important. And Croatia, like one shot on target against Brazil. Um, you know. You've been very decidedly quiet about the fact that you called Morocco. And I've said this to people over the weekend. John Duggan called Morocco as dark horses. You've been very modest about well, it. Well, you know, I, I don't know. Um, if they go on to win the tournament, that's the greatest 
what out of all it's, time. It's funny, a meta mine was sharing me his Betfair last week, his kind of his his, his um, book, and Morocco were 130 about a week ago. Wow. And they're 13 now. <laughs> on Betfair, you know, just even from a trading point it's of view. It's still quite big for a... It is, yeah. Um, but just defensively, do you wonder how they really got too many defensive issues? But I just, I remember just seeing, there's always a, there's always a country, isn't there, that comes out of the block, some from, it comes out of left field. And I think the key thing is like, a lot of things in my head, home support in anything is significant. Mm. Uh, we didn't lose a game for seven years under Jack here for, you know, it's very much a Jack Charlton vibe about Morocco. Um, but you'd have to think the French would have too much quality for them. But we, I think Spain and Portugal have got their own issues. And uh, they didn't didn't turn up at this World before Cup. Before those games, before the Spain game against Morocco, we're thinking Spain are brilliant. They're, gonna, they're not going to lose this game. Before the Portugal game, we're thinking Portugal yeah. are brilliant. They're after thrashing the Swiss. And Morocco got over the line in both. But this World Cup has been refreshing from a point of view of organisation, team spirit, um, defensive solidity, uh, direct play. Um, the, 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 I suppose the, the copybook is written, is ripped up and you've got a new kind of template again. And that is refreshing that it's not always about Pep Guardiola a million passes, you know. There's a couple of interesting things in the papers, lads, I saw this morning, the Telegraph, um, like talking about succession planning for Southgate and that. And Sam Wallace, who's a really good writer, had a quote, just like, you've got to be an English coach. Um, it's cheating if, you, if it's not going to be an English coach is the kind of vibe that every single World Cup winning coach uh, has been of, of a native of the country. So, And also the financial issues around Tuchel and Pochettino could, could rule them out, just in terms of could they afford them. But the FA appointed Lee Carsey last year, a capable coach who had a number of uh, previous FA roles, but critically is Irish. He was Birmingham-born, but in FIFA terms, is a 40-cap Republic of Ireland international. He's not a potential successor to Southgate. Indeed, the suggestion is he's very much likely to be the long-term successor of the Football Association of Ireland if it does not push on with Stephen Kenny beyond Euro 2024, right. or perhaps even before then. I'm always interested in the English angle on the Irish situation. Right. And that's what the Telegraph are saying. Sam Wallace, who won the best writers in the UK. I thought it was an interesting little nugget in the papers this morning. Cars off for Ireland. We've never really considered it, but it absolutely makes sense. And, and he's very highly regarded coach in the it's, UK. I think we haven't considered him because we just thought he was in, in the English system. setup now. Yeah. yeah. And there was no going back. Now, uh, you know, um, it sounds a little bit like um, the Joe Pesci character in Goodfellas who just didn't have enough pure blood to be a made man and so therefore they could clip him <laughs> even though, like, it doesn't, doesn't actually... Can we recreate the phone box here at the moment? I mean... It, <laughs> doesn't actually make any sense to me, you know? So, Lee Carsey's in your system, you've invested all this time. You got a problem. And efforts. <laughs> and he's gone. What do you mean he's gone? There's nothing we can do about it. Um, <laughs> is that, like, I think it was the Telegraph who were, they were ruling Brendan Rogers out on the basis that... Um, Compensation, is it? Would he be acceptable to the No Surrender Brigade? I'm like, you're going to let the worst element of your fan base Decided. prevent a manager from coming in. Now, here's the thing. I might be being naive. That might be so important for that that vocal group of fans might make life misery to the point where it's impossible for him to do his job. Like, uh, am I thick? I might be. Well, I, said, okay, I think one of the reasons he might be leaving is because what happened to Wolves, you know, and, and that kind of, um, that ugly nature of, of the element of English support. I think one of the problems of Brendan Rodgers is compensation to Leicester. Could be an issue. He's there. got a long term contract. Although, I mean, Leicester were going to sack him six months ago, so uh, they couldn't afford to. Yeah. When you're saying there's financial issues around Poch and Tuchel, it, it's just in terms of salary. Uh, yeah, salary. Uh, the FA are rich. Uh, I don't know if they're, I think there'd be two million less, as they're saying, it, 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 that they would have been earning the clubs 
Right. And they've got backroom teams and all that they all would want to come in. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was interested in, the Irish Times here, I don't know if you, you guys saw this, but Owen Farrell uh, and Eddie Jones, he's been on the BBC, it's unbelievably disappointing. Eddie had been a big part of England rugby for a long time now and he's one of the best coaches I've ever had. So for that, I'm massively thankful. We're disappointed it's finished early. We owe a lot to him. I've been around for a while now and not to, around too many changes, both at club and international level. It's not pleasant to go through. Turncoats. So probably being asked the in England captain, private reviews. The England captain. He's very loyal. Like, you'd have to say that's very loyal because he could have just said, it, oh, it's disappointing, you know, but that's sport, we didn't get the results and so that's what happens. But he's like, that's a very ringing endorsement. Yeah, and not good from a, if, he, if this guy's a leader of the team less than a year out from a World Cup. So you'd hope he gets on with Borswick, you know. Um, they can't win without him. So, yeah, that's it. All right. How do we call it this evening? He's saying penalties, I think, are you? Well, if it goes to penalties, you've convinced me that the Croats are going to do it. It's um, a beautiful design there, by the way. <laughs> Two things. Winter World Cup, excellent. Seven o'clock kickoffs, also excellent. Yes. Oh, the seven o'clock yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. World Cup, generally. Uh, I think it's beautiful that it's only every four years. So I've had withdrawal symptoms from since Saturday night. And obviously my voice is... As the, as, what yeah, night? Yeah, what night was it? Um, but I'm so glad it's back. And it's literally only been, what, 48 hours? All right. Yeah. All right, lads. John, good stuff. Thank you. More from John Duggan on Saturday afternoon, of course, on Off The Ball on News Talk. Now, up next, News Talk's crime correspondent Frank Graney is going to join us to give us an update on the Regency trial, which resumes later on this morning. First, here's more from Kenny Cunningham on last night with Joe talking about where he thinks England should be using Phil Foden. Back after this. And yet the one qualm you'd have to have is what was the guilt edge chance they created yeah. and there wasn't one so for me that's where the difference is so for me if you commit to a front five of Foden for me in his best position which we very rarely seen from Manchester City or England Foden's a central midfielder attacking central midfield player I mean, everybody's saying it, but he's done so well operating wide of a three for Manchester City. That's where he's kind of bedded in, and that's where Southgate's used him. For me, this kid, you're going to get an extra 20% out of this kid if you're playing a bit deeper in central midfield. Because what he's going to do, Joe, he's going to pick the ball up deeper in central areas, get turned. And when this kid's running yeah. at you yeah, with yeah. speed, he's unbelievable. And we don't see it from those wide areas because he's coming from a higher position. He's coming on the half turn from a wide area to receive the ball as opposed to deeper centrally where he can get turned earlier and go straight at people. And I haven't seen anybody since probably... English player Jack Wiltshire was probably the closest I've seen when he broke through ball playing centre midfield the dribbler who could actually go and commit people and take people on so I'd reference that period of the game second half when England had the ball yes. if they'd had Foden and Bellingham for, for 25 minutes half an hour in centre midfield with Royce behind him and, and pick, take your pick at a front three I think that's the difference I, think, because, I think England score in that period. I think they get themselves mm. ahead and then it's a totally different game France come out they could end up winning that game 3 or 4 more Kenny Cunningham goodness uh, if you subscribe to the OTB football feed in the OTB sports app now I'm delighted to say New Stock Courts correspondent Frank Graney is with us to talk to us about Jonathan Dowdle's evidence in the Regency trial uh, you're very welcome back Frank how are you? I'm good, lads. How's things? Uh, big, big day yesterday. We've been waiting for months. There'd been legal argument last week. Um, we're still not quite sure about the status of Jonathan Dowdle in the Witness Protection Act. Um, um, now I think the whole country understands why he needs to be in witness protection because his evidence yesterday was absolutely sensational. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, since this trial opened and even before then, Jonathan Dowdall has kind of loomed large over proceedings. So there was a lot of anticipation ahead of him giving evidence yesterday, obviously an awful lot of talk in the previous few months about what he's likely to say, because we did get an indication. I spoke about this on the show previously, Jer, where the prosecuting barrister got up on the opening day of the trial and he said that Jonathan Dowdall will give evidence, essentially implicating Jerry Hutch and what happened at the Regency Hotel back in 2016. But it was extraordinary seeing him being brought into the courthouse yesterday under heavy guard, as you can imagine. The trial was moved to another courtroom on the sixth floor of the building where I'm speaking to you from here today, the Criminal Courts of Justice, to facilitate him being brought in and out um, again under immense security measures. There were five prison officers and two armed guards in the jury box as he gave evidence yesterday. This has been held before a non-jury court, the Special Criminal Court, but he was allowed to sit in the jury box to give his evidence. And I suppose what that did was avoid him having to move around the courtroom unnecessarily. He was seated directly across from the dock where Jerry Hutch sat accused of the murder of David Byrne. If he had to get into the witness box, he would have had to pass that dock and Jerry Hutch would have been just over his right shoulder as he gave his evidence. He spent a couple of hours giving his direct evidence yesterday. He's not finished yet. He's due to resume at 11 o'clock this morning. And you would assume the direct evidence will conclude today. And then Jerry Hutch's barrister will be given an opportunity to cross-examine him. And that's a process that's likely to go on for a number of days. Okay, just before we get into the the evidence itself, uh, is that unusual where they don't ask um, somebody who's testifying to be in the eye line of the person they're testifying against? Is is this are they taking a fairly unusual measures here to um, I don't know to prevent any intimidation? Is that is that what's going on? We don't know exactly why. Um, there was an application made before Jonathan Dowdall came into court. The Judges were asked for permission um, for him to give his evidence from the jury box. And it's it's funny that you should say that, um, you know, when it comes to eye lines, he's actually in the direct eye line of Jerry Hutch and the dock. And that wouldn't be the case if he was actually giving his evidence from the witness box. But it, ha- it has created an awful lot of space between him and the main body of the court. And you would assume that it is because of the fact that he you know, was taken into protective custody. He's being assessed for the witness protection program. He is considered a vulnerable witness. He's a super grass um, uh, witness. He's given evidence on behalf of the prosecution, having, and let's not forget, that he was once upon a time supposed to be sitting in the dock alongside Jerry Hutch, accused of murder. That murder charge was dropped. We all know that now he pleaded guilty to a lesser charge. And he's actually serving a prison sentence for that. He admitted facilitating what happened at the Regency Hotel by making a room at the hotel available to the criminal organisation behind it. And he did speak about that in his direct evidence yesterday. He um, claimed that he and his father, Patrick Dowdall, picked up the key card from the Regency Hotel the day before the shooting, back in February 2016. This was at the behest or request of Jerry Hutch's brother, Patsy Hutch. Again, this was the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall yesterday. And he claimed that Jerry Hutch was the one who then picked up the key cards on Richmond Road. Uh, They drove over there and met him. And the prosecution say that that room was subsequently used by one of the gunmen. So that was one of the, I suppose, very serious allegations that Jonathan Dowdall made against Jerry Hutch when he um, got into the witness box or the jury box uh, yesterday morning. And then after that, the rest of um, the, the sequence of events begins to unfold under questioning. What happened? 
Well, he, he spoke about that alleged incident whereby the key cards for that room at the Regency Hotel were handed over to Jerry Hutch on Richmond Road. And then he spoke about a meeting that he had with uh, Jerry Hutch supposedly a few days after the shooting. He claimed, and again, these were just allegations that um, that he uh, put to the court yesterday, where he said that Jerry Hutch got in touch with him. He wanted to meet him. They met in a park in Whitehall in Dublin. This was at about 11 or half past 11 in the morning, again, just a few days after the shooting. And he said that Jerry Hutch was quite concerned about a photograph that appeared in the front page of the Sunday World. That photograph was shown to the um, court yesterday. We've seen it already. This is a photograph of two of the gunmen fleeing the Regency Hotel after the shooting. One of them is a man dressed as a woman. The other has been uh, labelled as flat cap. We now know that that was a dissident Republican called Kevin Murray. He has since passed away. Jonathan Dowdall in his evidence yesterday, yesterday said Jerry Hutch was very concerned about this photograph. He described him as being in a panic. Um, he said he'd never seen him like that before. He said that he was paranoid. This again was at about 11, half past 11 in the morning. And he said that he was concerned about a walker in the park that he suspected might have been a Garda. And the purpose of this meeting was he wanted Jonathan Dowdall supposedly to reach out to his Republican contacts in Northern Ireland in the hope of perhaps mediating a ceasefire with the Canaan Crime Organisation Group. We know that the man who was shot dead at the Regency Hotel was a known Canaan associate, uh, David Byrne. But further than that, or more than that, Jonathan Dowdall said yesterday that Jerry Hutch essentially confessed to being one of two men who shot David Byrne on that day. Again, that's an allegation that is strongly denied by Jerry Hutch. He has pleaded not guilty to that murder charge. He then described um, a number of other interactions with Jerry Hutch in the weeks that followed that led to them travelling together to Northern Ireland on the 7th of March, about one month after the shooting, to meet these Republican contacts. We know about that journey because, as I've spoken on the show with you guys uh, previously, 10 hours of that journey were recorded, secretly recorded. Jonathan Dowdall's uh, Jeep had been bugged. And just before Jonathan Dowdall was asked specifically about that conversation and the prosecuting barrister wanted to play some clips, I suppose, to ask him to put context, to put some meat on the bones of what they were saying. And there was a legal, legal issue that arose. The court then adjourned early just after lunchtime. And he's likely to be asked about, I suppose, that element of the evidence when the trial resumes at 11 o'clock this morning. All right, just to put some context on this, the, if anybody's ever travelled down the M1 into Dublin or come off the M50 into Dublin, the big red church in Whitehall, it's, that, it's the little park beside that that this meeting happens in the days after the murder happens where they're sitting having this conversation and uh, Jared Hutch is paranoid about a walker in the park at half 11 in the morning. And that's when the conversation takes place where it's alleged that uh, Jonathan Dowdle is told that Jared Hutch is one of the people uh, responsible for the murder. Yeah, and the claim that he made yesterday went further than what the prosecuting barrister Sean Galland said in his opening address, because he said at the, back in October, uh, late October, he said that Jonathan Dowdle will get, give evidence to say that Jerry Hutch was part of the team that shot David Byrne. Now, didn't go into any more detail than that, but yesterday, Jonathan Dowdle, he was asked specifically, did Jerry Hutch tell you who shot David Byrne? And he said, yes, that he admitted to it. And he also identified another man who he claimed was one of the shooters at the Regency Hotel that day. So it was incredible evidence um, presented by Jonathan Dowdle yesterday. But you have to remember, that was his direct evidence. I have no doubt that he'll be cross-examined at length on it when the baton is passed over to the, to the other side of the courtroom. Um, Frank, you mentioned the eyeline. What was the body language of 
Dowdham and Hutch yesterday in the court? It's a good question. And I think every journalist, and there were about 20 there, was looking to see if we could get any reaction from either man. Looking closely at Jonathan Dowdle as he entered the courtroom again under heavy guard, you could tell that he seemed quite nervous. This was obviously a very stressful event for him. Um, Jerry Hutch remained impassive in the dock. He looked straight ahead at the uh, jury box where Jonathan Dowdall was seated. But interestingly, as far as I could see, Jonathan Dowdall didn't look over to the dock once. He fixed his gaze on the barrister. He fixed his gaze on the judges. He picked up a glass of water. I think it's fair to say it was a shaky hand that brought that glass of water to his mouth as he took sips throughout the evidence. Just before lunchtime then, he did request a break. So the court did break up a little bit earlier uh, than usual. But aside from that, Jerry Hutch is hard of hearing. So he has been given some headphones and a listening device so that he can, I suppose, follow proceedings a little bit closer. I noticed he put those headphones on just before Jonathan Dowdall came in. There were some remarkable scenes um, in the criminal courts of justice yesterday. Security measures have already been increased over the past few months, but they went up a notch again yesterday. You had more armed guard outside the building scattered across the building. The trial was moved to another courtroom um, to facilitate, again, the secure entry and exit of Jonathan Dowdall to give his evidence. There was a queue, and I suspect it'd be the same today. There was a queue of people who had come from all over the country to try and get one of the limited seats in the public gallery. Um, Such was the interest in attending the court yesterday. An overflow courtroom had to be set up uh, as well. Um, As I say, lots of media interest and also an awful lot of plainclothes guardy scattered around the courtroom in the public gallery with earpieces. I don't know what rank or what unit these guardy were there, but they were clearly there to make sure that everything passed off peacefully yesterday, and it did. All right, Frank, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, lads. That's uh, Frank Graney there. You should check out Inside the Crime podcast that um, Frank is uh, the host of the second season is out now and still riding high in the charts. Uh, it is 11 minutes past nine this morning. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you across the day today. Uh, at one o'clock, OTB Gold, the Wexford 1956 Legends. Dadcast episode from three, a career retrospective of Joe Schmidt at four. OTB Gold is uh, Joe Malloy meeting Ruby Walsh and then the show is back this evening. Obviously, completely enraptured by the live football between seven and and who knows how long it's going to go on tonight. Um, between 7 and 10 is the show anyway. After a quick break, we're going to be joined on the line from Melbourne by Collingwood's Mayo star, Sarah Rowe. Stay tuned. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Yeah, the big freeze is on here and we're uh, going to be stuck with it at least until Saturday, it looks like. But to sunnier climbs uh, all the way down under, I'm delighted to say Sarah Rowe is with us. Sarah, good morning, good evening to you. How are you? Good evening. Thanks for having me on. And I would love to say that it was warm over here at the moment, but it's actually, we live in Melbourne and it's a bit different. So it's actually only about 13 degrees today. All right. Okay. So, I mean, it's definitely better than us. It goes, yeah, it goes between phases all the time. It's one of those places that it goes between a different season every few hours. So it could be 30 degrees one minute and then down to 15 a couple of hours later, it's mental. But um, hopefully the weather gets better now coming into Christmas. So you're in the off-season at the moment. How's that going? What's what's What are you actually up to? Yeah, the off-season is good. It's it's weird because, again, we're kind of still in the dark as to when our season starts um, again next. But the off-season, you take like 
maybe a couple of days off max and then you're into prehab plans, rehab plans and all that stuff. I had a bit of tendinopathy in my knee towards the end of season. So I'm kind of on a prehab plan at the moment and just managing my body and getting the best out of it. So you're still training. You're still training probably a good 10 to 15 hours a week. So it just, it doesn't really stop. Um, It just, it's kind of more on your own terms probably is the way I'd say it. You find it hard to believe, Sarah, that it's been that it's been five years over there. Like, does it feel like five years? Ah, oh, I was thinking that the other day when someone asked me. They're like, "My sister's actually coming over in December with a couple of her friends," and I was like, "I think she's going to be blown away by the fact that she's like, you actually have a life here." Like, I think my family thinks that I come over here on a holiday for six months <laughs> and then I come home for six months. But I think, yeah, being here five years, it was like a real moment where I was like. God, I have been here a long time, and I properly have a life over here now. So it's yeah, it's it's been so it's been so long, but it feels like it's such a short time. You still have the you still have the Mayo accent at least. There's no there's no Aussie twang just yet. Oh, don't worry, I can't can't lose that. Imagine I went home to Ireland with an Aussie accent. I'd be told to get back on the flight again and go sort my life out. <laughs> you would, be yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, <laughs> uh, you say you've got a life there. Is that something that you think that's is part of your future long term then because like it's difficult to give up the lifestyle presumably yeah it is it's it's always catch 22 I think I think for me like there's a few things um to play like obviously you're playing sport at a professional level and it's amazing and what it brings and you're constantly learning you're constantly getting feedback if it's not about AFLW it's about the person you are and the person that you need to become like so you're always getting feedback and in that working environment you're surrounded by people who are the highest performers in their field and you're getting such good treatment I suppose that it's really hard to up and leave that Um, but then the other part of it is that you go my family are the most important thing to me in my life and I try to stay as connected as I can as possible but that's also becomes difficult when you're working with time zones and all that so it's it's always you're kind of weighing up like how long do you do this for could you stay here long term I don't know I think it'd be too hard to be away from my family for that amount of time Is there so obviously the sport is relatively new like your experience of uh, different coaching styles stretches to international soccer uh, now the AFL and also very high level of Gaelic football so you've got an incredible level of experience and and compare and contrast uh, what everybody has to do I'm not retiring yet by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a professional pathway to become a coach in the WFL, AFL, if, if that was of interest to you. Yeah, see, that's actually not something that I'm in any way interested in. Right. I think I wouldn't wouldn't have the patience to be a coach. I think I I would I know myself. I probably favour the ones who were doing everything right, who were training at a high level, because you know I suppose even with our SNC, like he. Is an, um, he's done so much for our club. His name is Paul Turk. He's come in this year and he's completely changed the culture and the way we train and everything. But like, he puts in what a player puts into him as well. So if you put in an effort, he will give you back that same amount of effort. So I think that would be the way I would probably be and uh, feel as a coach. But like, as a coach, obviously you need to work on everyone. But the side that I am really interested in is like the cultural side of things, the leadership side of things. And that for me fascinates me. And I think that's because of the three different environments that I've been in that I've always been really curious as to like, why is GA like this? Why is soccer like this? Why is AFL like this? And in general, what it all comes down to is like people and making sure that everyone feels valued within their environment, everyone feels 
comfortable and supported all the time. But it's very different in each world and they all have their own set of their own culture within the sport as well. So I think for me, that's the space that I'd like to work in. And I've been doing a bit of work recently with um, AIA, who are major sponsors of Collingwood and working on their culture within their business and then doing a small bit with Deloitte. So that's kind of helping me get more experience. They do like all this personality profile in it. That's something that goes into when they're scouting players and when they're drafting players, they do all this profiling and testing on the player because they need to make sure that while being a good player is important, like being a good person that's going to bring really good energy to the club is also important because that can cause just as much problems that may be only seen off the field, but really are brought on the field as well. So that's probably the area that I'm really passionate about. And is that is that maybe more likely then to be the type of uh, post-sports career that you get into? Yeah, I think so. I think I have a background in neuro-linguistic programming. So like, that's all about subconscious mind and like that psychology side of things has been something that I've always tapped into. I've always loved it. And I think you can unlock secrets to life and you're far more in control of your own emotions than you think. So I think that's the side of things that I'll definitely go into in the future. Um, But yeah, I love working with people. I love trying to understand like every year is so different. Every year brings a, a whole different energy to your team, but culture for me is number one and like it just when our culture is good our performance is good and when our culture is not good our performance is generally not good either because there has to be so much trust within your team and you spend so many hours together that you basically go along people's journeys of life as well as um, you do and then the energy that you're expending within training as well is just like it's very full on the season like we do we have so many meetings and I was actually talking to a soccer player today over here and she said oh like I have a meeting today and I was like she plays for um, Melbourne City and she said I have a meeting today and I have another one tomorrow and I was like how many meetings do you have a week and she said two I was like we have a meeting for absolutely everything we must have six meetings a day and then we have meetings about meetings and then we have individual review review with the coach we're constantly reviewing um our performance whereas in the soccer world they don't do that as much and in the football world from my, from the last time I was in with Mayo, we didn't do that as much either. So it's it's different everywhere you go. It's like the US office, plenty of meetings for no reason. Um, like for you, Sarah, someone who takes an interest in it. I mean, what percentage of professional or semi-pro sport would you say is mental, and what percentage is, is more on the physical side? That's a good question because men- mental for me is like there's players on our team who I suppose maybe are very maybe have a lot of talent but as time goes on they will get washed out of the system if they don't do everything right so I think a lot of it comes down to mental and the way you prepare so I'm going to say probably 50 50 60 40 right now where the game is at but when you look at the men's program I think it's a lot more mental than it is oh it's a, that's, a, that's a really difficult question because if you're mentally strong, you'll do all the right things to prepare properly. Therefore, your body will be in a good place and therefore you'll train to the level that's expected because obviously you're trying to break mental barriers all the time. Um, but yeah, there's a fine line between um, that mental barrier and excuses. Like some people say, well, I need to be relaxed and I need to do things a different way. And then you have these other red type personalities who are, want to do everything 100%, 100% of the time. It doesn't mean one way is right and one way is wrong. You have to embrace the differences. But within that really relaxed approach can come like, 
well, I'm not going to do recovery because recovery doesn't work for me. And like, for me, that's just an excuse. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, oh, that's, I don't want to say 50, 50, but I might need to have a proper think about that one. Yeah. What, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, it probably is. Like, but it, it seems to have the, like, if you look at 10, 15, 20 years ago, the, mental or psychological side of it was probably lower than it is now there seems to be more of a focus put on it which is great um, and important too like. yeah and it's even just the, the planning and the organisation around training as well like I sat down with a psychologist last week and we just wrote down like you know weekly plans weekly tasks distractions like just small things like that that if you didn't have that resource you may never think about that kind of stuff so yeah there's there's so much that does go into it now that it's um you're just trying to simplify it for yourself as much as possible. But that's the thing, like players need really simple messages, but they need to plan it in order to, for messages to be simple. Probably comes down to habit as well. Like, Would you have noticed a similarity or difference in your pre and post game ritual when it came to, to GA and, and soccer and, and now with the AFLW? Yeah, definitely. I think my post game now, I think I don't take like after games for a gay like a soccer like I feel like I would have sat on the games for a week and especially if I had a poor performance I would have been disappointed probably lacked sleep from thinking about the game and kind of being like kicking myself when I didn't perform well whereas now I kind of go well we actually have a game next week I have to be at training Monday and I have to do really well to perform and it's all about you know cliche as it sounds about the process if I'm not going to train well on Monday and I'm not going to train well on Wednesday and Friday, then I'm probably not going to play well at the weekend. So it's like you straight away switch your focus to going, okay, I, I need the information. So I need to review with my head coach. I need to review with my line coach. And then once I have that done, I'm like, generally you don't do as bad as you think you've done. And then you have a discussion about it. And then you go right, park it, and then we move on. So, and you generally do move on like that. Whereas I feel sometimes with Gaelic as well, like you might never game for in the women's competition, like you might never game for three or four weeks, but you're, you're still thinking about the game three or four weeks. There's just too much of a gap of time. Whereas we've games week in, week out. Uh, you, you talked about the personality profile that um, gets done when recruitment is happening. Obviously one of the outcomes of that is that you learn that everybody takes on information differently. And in a culture, some people are going to be mad into this stuff and other people will live it, but not necessarily understand why they're living it. And then some people will not be that interested either way, but so long as they're uh, not damaging, it doesn't really matter. Do you find that there are like uh, groups within the organization who you can go and, and be like very invested in this and get deep dive into? And then there's other groups where um, you're just trying to like, uh, observe what they're doing. I, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is that um, the the massive living organism of a successful team has bunches in it, and for all of them to coexist peacefully, sometimes it's it's not complicated, and then other times it is quite complicated. Yeah, it was such a good exercise that we did. So we had we did the whole team, and we all did our personality profiles together. So then we got put into categories. So it was like so I was put in a red category and I looked at all the people around me and I was like, I'm not a red personality. <laughs> and I was like looking around and every, and then I was like, so I'm red and a touch of yellow. And red is very like, I want to get to the top. How do I get there? Show me now and just tell me what I need to do. And then yellow is like bubbly personality. And like people wouldn't probably know this about me. Like unless you're in my team environment, you would think that I'm happy or lucky. 
take the piss all the time, which I do do that. But behind the scenes, I'm very structured and very serious about my training and prepare as best I can. So anyway, that was an enlightening moment when I, they told me I was a red type personality. And they said, everyone in your red, yellow, green, blue, go plan a party. So the red type personalities all go, you do that, you do that, done. Okay, we have the party planned already. Then you had the yellows who were really creative and they were like, oh, I'm going to, you know, make sure at the party that we have straws with pineapple in them. And then we have fruit on the side and then we have the pool party and then we have the DJ and then we'll get confetti and all this detail (laughs) and all this creative stuff that was completely unrealistic. And then you had, I think it was the greens who were really time efficient. They were like, oh, well, we need to be there. Everyone needs to be there four or five. And if anyone's late, this is what we do and blah, blah. And then the, I, the blue, I can't, I think the blue was um, always worried about everyone else. I think that's the order of what, it, what it went into. So they were like, where is everyone going to sleep? Where's like, you know, what kind of food do we need? Do we have enough drink? So then they went around. It was so obvious then that we were like, oh, like, we actually are are all very similar within our categories. And then they mixed the groups up and then we had to plan a party again. And then it was a complete balance of an approach because it was like, so now can we understand as a team that I need you, you need me. And without us all together, this doesn't work. So it was really enlightening. I thought I thought it was such a good um, exercise to do. Uh, when you then bring it out onto the field, do you see it having benefits? Yeah, you do, because there's times when people are really uptight and then someone like another player would say, like, it's okay, you got this. And that might be all that other player needs. And then it's like we always need to find triggers. Like we use trigger words a lot, like as what's the word that gets you up or what is it that I need to do for you? And that's the question that we ask each other quite a bit is like, what do you need from me on the field? Like, how can I help you? Because within AFLW, it's such a different game than... Um, I suppose Gaelic football where everything is kind of like instinct a bit more off the cuff whereas in AFLW like I feel like you really need to protect your players and it's a very structured game like playing on the wing like I have to stay out in the wing even if the ball doesn't come out there for the whole day like it's so frustrating as a Gaelic footballer because that's not the way I would want to play the game or the way I see the game but I have to do what the team needs of me and how I can help my teammates best and what's best for the team. So um, it's just a different approach. But us Irish players, I feel, have a really, um, we all have a very similar mindset around it. We we just want to do what we want, but that's not the way it goes, um, especially in a professional environment. That uh, that soccer background you have, Sarah, like it's uh, quite exciting. And a lot of people will know that you, you've, you've played for Shelburne. But um, when you're looking at Vera Powell's team now heading off to, to Australia, ironically enough, uh, next summer, like that must be hugely exciting for you to even look on and, and watch as someone who has a background in the sport at a, at a very high level. 100%. It's, I was actually on the phone to Katie McCabe the last day. I hadn't spoke, we hadn't spoken in, I went to her Arsenal game last year, but like I hadn't properly caught up with her. Like we always message on WhatsApp, but like properly chatted her in a while. And I was like, I'm going to say two years, but like, you know, the friendships still stick fast between myself, Katie, Claire, Chloe. And to see those girls put in the effort that they put in over the last eight or nine years and that team that we had at under 19 kind of you see those players coming through like Amber and all these girls and just like the evolution of all that I'm like I could not be happier for them and I just it was just so emotional to watch from afar and just be like 
it's incredible what they're doing. And I'm just, I'm so excited that it is on in Australia because hopefully, I think we will be in the middle of our preseason, but hopefully I can get over at some point and um, see the girls. I'm sure you pick up little bits of uh, uh, advice from Katie McCabe and vice versa as well. Advice from Katie, yeah, Katie's <laughs> full of words of wisdom. Um, she has, she's a lovely cheek to her as well that I don't think anyone else knows about. So um, we always have a good laugh when we're on the phone together. But no, she's she's the best. I think for me with Katie, like I just watched her grow up the whole way, and like to see her go over to Arsenal, struggle at the start, and then when she first went over and then to make have such a big impact and be one of their best players and then become captain and now become like the leader and person that she is like she's just done amazing like it's just so good to see Sarah always great to catch up with you thanks a million for making the time for us thank you guys thanks for having me on it's uh, Sarah Rowe in uh, Melbourne this morning where it's sunnier than here but still not not the amazing yeah I feel a little bit better that it's only only 13 degrees I say as we get out into minus temperatures this morning but yeah 13 as she says before Christmas it'll be maybe a bit nicer Um, summer Patrick O'Brien says the Dutch free kick is worthy of a mention for originality alone ah ah yeah it's, a, it's an historic goal but more so if the Dutch had, had progressed Ooh, if they progressed yeah uh, Maguire is always that step too late at the top class level he costs you in the end says Danny Mac you're going back for you're going back to you're going back to the Harry Maguire are you uh, no, no, I, I think Varane and Martinez are still the starting starting pair um, but I think he's probably notched himself back above Victor Lindelof We'll see what Eric Ten Hag thinks. Yeah, well, that's most important, I think. Uh, against England, Mbappe became the target mark for every France attack. I think he's better when the focus is spread across the other two or three players and ends up one-on-one, says Paul Quirk. Uh, Bohemian29 says, when my boss got Morocco in the sweepstakes, he wasn't happy at all. Now he's bought the jersey and is learning the national anthem. <laughs> I wonder is it an easy national anthem to learn. I've never done that, learned another country's anthem, but yeah, maybe uh, if they win it. Johnny Ward's a good man for that. Uh, Aldasari's screamer, contender for goal of the tournament outside the box for Saudi Arabia against Argentina, which turned the game, says Rory Larmer. That's a better shot, Rory. Yeah, I, th- I think those Saudi goals. That, that's probably, is that the game of the tournament? No, maybe not. There's been a few, Argentina-Netherlands is obviously right up there, but... It's early days. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, there's three. There's four more games left, we'll see. There's three games left. Well, the, we so ain't counting that. You're not counting the third-place playoff? No, no. Ah, love it doesn't matter. Football yeah. hipsters only like it that. It doesn't matter. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Tonight is another slight tangent and obviously uh, live coverage of the game this evening. Uh, the show this morning is obviously brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Tomorrow, Kevin Kilban live from Qatar. We will know one half of the World Cup finalists. Galway sisters Siobhan and Olivia Dibley, fresh from returning the All-Ireland Senior Club Championship with uh, Kilcarran Clumburn, will join us on the line, plus much more besides. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.